Welcome to the Bayesian Conspiracy. I'm Inyash Brodsky. I'm Steven Zuber. I'm Jay Sticky. And I'm Kerry McCain. Kerry McCain, welcome to the show. You have been a longtime person in Denver <laughs> that comes to all our meetups, and you're awesome. Uh, thank you for coming on the show because you are going to tell us about something we don't know about, which is virtue. Wait, have we not had you on thank before? You for having me. No, it's my first time here. It feels like it shouldn't be. That's I do weird. listen occasionally. <laughs> it really feels like it shouldn't be your first time because you're just you're so active. You're you're a fixture in the in the community here. Totes. That's weird. Well, thank you. Mm-hmm. Well, it, it, we're going to do that and have you on a bunch, like to the point where you get sick of it and stop answering the phone. Yeah. <laughs> All right. We'll <laughs> see what happens when we get there. Right on. But unlike us losers, you actually have virtues, which is pretty cool. I try. Do my best. <laughs> and do you know something about the ethics of virtues? Uh, yeah. I, I, so this is something that I'm interested in personally. I uh, I haven't really formally studied philosophy. I wanted to do some more, but I, I just took a couple classes in college. But it's something that has always really interested in me, interested me, and uh, done a lot of reading on my own about it. Um, I brought couple of books here that i've read to to talk about those there are um, sticky notes all over the books as proof that he has read them uh well yeah the, the one i took really good notes on the other one i actually listened to his audiobook and just had the paper one for reference okay cool yeah so you had to pay for it twice uh yeah brutal uh but i it was worth money right yeah yeah so I, yeah i'm this this is something that i maybe maybe know more about than you guys but may, probably less than people in your audience so uh, feel free to eviscerate me on the discord or whatever okay we will do that I'm sure people will be happy to. No, they're very nice on our Discord. Okay. Yeah. I was going to say, so we were talking at the last meetup, and I can't remember how Virtue came up, but we're, it happens just to line up perfectly, because like, it was just earlier that week where I kind of formulated my thought on this. And I feel like this this ethical journey might be more common than just me and Carrie, but I'm exposed at some point in my late teens to utilitarianism, and I'm like, oh, this is obviously right. Mm-hmm. You know? Like, the, it, the logic is incontro- incontrovertible, and like I guess I'm utilitarian. And then you live for a few years, and you're like, I I'm not living like a utilitarian. Oh, I can't. Okay, well, I'll just be like a bad utilitarian then. <laughs> and then you, then I guess there's just something where I realized, like, you know, that's not even... It seems like that's not the way that I even want to live my life, right? Mm-hmm. And I think what I want to do instead is, like, you know... It, and that's that's we talked about this a bit when we did Not Everything is a Clue. You know, like, if, I, if, if it's a big, important decision, if I'm making the god that's going to take over the next world, right? Mm-hmm. Then I'm going to do it, you know, the right way, you know, with a, as much math as I can, right? Yeah. But... Most of the time in my life, that doesn't come up, right? Mm-hmm. Like, is the, is the most useful use of your time to, like, pull over and help somebody's car stuck on the side of the highway? No, you could be home working and get donating that money or something, right? Mm-hmm. Like, but that might be the most useful way for you to spend your time, right? You feel good, you've helped somebody, like, everybody wins. Yeah, I guess society except, is made better if yeah. everybody does this kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, the you, you give less money to charity because you could have spent that time being maximally productive or whatever. But, mm-hmm. I don't know, it was just like, I guess I realized that, like, I kind of went on, like, this, like, this circle of like, okay, I guess this isn't actually the way to do it. And really you should just try to focus on like having a good life, you know, put goodness out around you and that'll improve everyone else's life. Right. The problem is like us as nerds, we meet um, formal systems and math first and we're like, yeah, this is right. And then we meet humans much later in life and we're like, Oh, (laughs) this doesn't work for humans. And then you got to adapt things so that they are, they are human usable. Things don't just yeah come with number values generally. And, so, yeah, eventually you realize you're just making up all the numbers anyway and just going with what feels right. <laughs> Which is actually reassuring because when I said live a good life, that's pro- that's very poorly defined. Hmm. But it's as well defined as like a util, right? Right. <laughs> so maybe Carrie can help shed some light on like anything specific there. But Yeah, that... I'm not – I'm not. I think it might be possible to actually better define utils than that. Yeah. Um, 
one goodness unit. <laughs> well, so there's this, there's this thing. Uh, yeah, I, I guess maybe I should say first, like I, I had a similar journey to yours, Stephen. Um, mine was more, I didn't have a strong opinion about it until I read Scott Alexander's Consequentialist FAQ, mm. where he argues hard for consequentialism for like four sections and then like takes a weird left turn and says, okay, now that we've established consequentialism, let's talk about utilitarianism, which I'm not going to argue for because that's how consequentialism works. Mm -hmm. And I, I was so convinced by the first four parts that I thought, well, okay, I guess I'm along for this ride now. Let's see how that goes. Mm -hmm. And just always had some reservations. Hmm. Um, no, there's this, there's this thing with utilitarianism. So uh, it has to do with if you've got a set of options and uh, or I think this might be true of any set of objects generally like sort of set theoretically if if there's certain axioms which if they're true for this set of things then you can construct some sort of function that enables you to choose between them right so if, if you have say 10 options and it's true for every option that maybe you can put them in order with each other uh, a well ordering mathematically i don't know if it has to be it might just be a linear ordering but so like if any any two options either you prefer a to b or b to a or you don't care um and uh if you prefer A to C and and uh, you prefer C to B, then you prefer A to B. That I think Stephen and me order. argued about this at one point. <laughs> yeah, so like essentially there's there's these axioms. These are the, the Morgenstern von Neumann axioms, I think they're called. And they they have this result where if you have this preference thing, you can, you can turn a list of preferences uh, as long as it meets these criteria into utility function. And so there's there's a sense in which that way I know people like to talk about preference utilitarianism versus like total whatever hedonic or util whatever utilitarianism. Yeah. Um, those are in a sense the same, right? At least I think the people talking about them believe Wait, them to which be is the, the same. same? Uh, preference utilitarianism, mm -hmm. which is the kind that says you try to satisfy people's preferences, right? Versus um, I don't know hedonic utilitarianism, okay. which tries to like measure outcomes. They, they might not be actually measuring the same thing, right? You mm -hmm. might be optimizing for preference satisfaction versus something else. But, mm -hmm. but in, the, in the sense where, like, I always heard people talk about preference utilitarianism and think, like, well, why is this even utilitarianism? Like, what's, where are the utils here? That's where the utils come from. So way back in the day, uh, God, I think it was still in the teens of our episodes, uh, we had uh, Alonzo Fife on. Oh, yeah. And because he was someone I was following a lot in my younger years. Uh, and he is... Desire utilitarianism uh, is his philosophy, and which is basically a slightly different take on preference utilitarianism. Desire preference, not much difference, right? Um, but anyways, uh, we we had him on. I've been following him for a long time, and I think what the thing is is you evaluate the preferences uh, rather than evaluating actions is the thing. So a preference utilitarianism would say these preferences are good and these preferences are bad because of their consequences when promoted throughout a population rather than just i'm trying to i think um, that might be desire fulfill people's that might, preferences that might be desire stuff like i think preference, that might be desirism specifically i think i think preference utilitarianism is saying i'm going to maximize your preferences like so uh, uh well that's that just but, utilitarianism but not necessarily because a, a a hardcore whatever like pure utilitarianism utilitarian might press a button against everyone's wishes to wirehead them because oh. then, then they'll be super happy. Okay. Okay. Right. Even though none of them would have wanted that. Right. Like, except I for a couple, you. couple of awesome weirdos. So it's, um, yeah. So, so it's better. I, I see. I see. Okay. Yeah. So well, you're like, happens. okay, well I'm going to maximize your preferences mm -hmm. and your preferences might not necessarily be like the most hedonic outcome or whatever. Right. 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 You may have stupid preferences, but you probably do. Yeah, you, I know. You probably have inconsistent preferences. Which oh, is I know. I do. Why, yeah. So like the, 
Norman von, von Norman Morgenstern axioms might not even hold, and so you might not be able to validly construct a utility function for them all. I have preferences to eat candy and to be healthy. It's tough. Yeah. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> okay, cool. Thank you for clarifying that then, because I had a wrong thought in my head. I'm not sure if I'm it right. sounds like an interesting idea, though. I haven't heard that one before. I mean, it's basically, in my opinion, just another way of having virtue ethics. Because the, desire, the, the virtues are the desires that you want to instill in people, right? And I have a desire for fairness. The, the, the virtue of fairness is what is being pursued here. It's, it's that kind of thing where you, would, you evaluate the individual desires people have. And like, these are good desires that are harmonious within society and we want to promote them. Whereas these are bad desires and we want to reduce them, their prevalence. Uh, because of the disutility they bring when people have these desires. So I, I don't think that... Well, that's not how I would put it. I guess. Okay. Uh, so the, I, I think there's there's maybe two levels here that are going on, and one is sort of the level of how, for some given goal, how should you accomplish that goal? Okay. Right. And so utilitarianism often takes as a given greatest good for the greatest number, or what have you. You know, it's like mm -hmm. some total utility. Right. And then you've you've got the method of well calculating what the outcomes in terms of utility are across some aggregation function maybe you add it up all over everybody or maybe you don't because you're afraid of the repugnant conclusion <laughs> or you do you do something weird to add these up and then you get one number and you say whichever number is bigger i'm going to do the one that leads to the bigger number right. right but that's totally separate from whatever it is that you're trying to maximize you could be maximizing the greatest number for the greatest good you know what i mean or you could maximize like the number of hairs on the number of cats in the world. Right. Or right. you could, I mean, you could maximize anything, right? But you, the, the, the goal that you use to pursue it is by, you know, counting up some relevant quantity of interest and then picking the action, which leads to the highest mm -hmm. quant value of that quantity. Mm -hmm. And, uh, whereas virtue ethics is, it really focuses on developing character traits and habits. Mm -hmm. So you might say you could, you could do a greatest good for the greatest number thing, and rather than say, every time I'm going to make a choice, I am going to, you know, add to the greatest number, uh, you, you could just have some notion of what the greatest good and the greatest number is. And whether you calculate that explicitly or not, you, if your approach is cultivating in yourself um, habits of character that lead you to automatically, habitually, without thinking about it, without having to do the calculation in your head, mm -hmm. doing the thing that, you know, generally will produce the right outcome, mm -hmm. um, and also sort of cultivating this discretion about uh, when to when to do it and maybe when to break your habit. Mm -hmm. uh, that would be applying sort of virtue ethics to a utilitarian goal. Right. But I, I think virtue ethics also typically comes with its own goal, um, which it tends to be motivated uh, in teleological terms. And we, we can get into that. We don't have to get into that right now. But it's sort of like maybe maybe a, a thing would be this is where like human flourishing and eudaimonia sort of notions come from but sort of be the best version of you try to live well instead of merely living um and it, so it tends to be a little more personally oriented in addition in its in its goals as well as its methods i tend to think that virtue ethics leads to the or some version of virtue ethics leads to the best utility overall just because it's been selected for over the millennia for these things tend to have the best outcomes when humans tend to act this way as opposed to trying to individually calculate the utility of every little thing if you just always try to instill these virtues in people things tend to tend to work out for the best but i think we may be jumping the gun a little bit carrie what is virtue ethics uh <laughs> i think virtue ethics is the thing i just described so vir virtue okay, ethics okay. is a system of ethics that focuses on developing habits of character 
Um, it dates back, I think, to Aristotle and was the main tradition of ethics sort of until Kant uh, and later after Kant, uh, you know, Mill and Bentham, utilitarianism, so until the Enlightenment, basically, which sort of started uh, with Descartes or Kant. Um, speaking of Kant, isn't deontology just like a perversion of virtue ethics, though? Um, Where the, the emphasis is on the actual rule as opposed to the virtue, but it's basically aiming at the same thing? I think if in deontology, if you act out of habit, you're not doing the right thing. It needs to be a conscious deliberation that you're using your reason to do. Hmm. So, like, I mean, it, yeah, I think that that is the case. If, if you habitually, whatever, hold a door open or something, right? Yeah. I think I think what you're supposed to do is think this is what people should be doing and then do it. Oh, it feels like the opposite of the right way to be it, a human. It kind of is. It's silly, I think. <laughs> but I I wanted to just, to you, just you want it to always just be a habit. I that's because you want people to do it. Right? Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> but uh, I and I might be not being giving enough uh, um, care to Kant. But I was gonna just I wanted to mention you used a phrase that part of virtue ethics is making people the best versions of themselves that versions of themselves that they can be mm -hmm. do you guys now see why i called ted lasso a virtue ethicist did you watch ted lasso mm -hmm. I did, yeah. oh yeah. well sure i guess in um i don't, I don't know if it's a perfect fit but this, yeah, yeah. this is where i was going with that i, I see the yeah. analogy yeah yeah right. he just wants all his players to be the best thems they can be even if they aren't winning games because that, that's not the point yeah 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 <laughs> which is it's kind of crazy because it is the point in professional sports but this is a tv show and we love ted lasso i'm, I'm not sure that that's something that really differs between a consequentialist and a, a virtue system here. Uh, yeah, so virtue ethics is, is sort of a meta-ethical framework as well, where mm -hmm. um, I, I suppose that's a, that's a thing. So consequentialism says that it, it is the consequences of your actions that make something good. Mm -hmm. The Kantian sort of deontological thing is it is whether you're doing the right act or the wrong act that makes something good. And virtue ethics sort of says that <laughs> it is it is what kind of person <laughs> you are, right? It's like, what what are your characteristics? If you If you do the right thing once then that doesn't mean that you're good for doing it right mm -hmm. maybe it means you're better than not doing it but right. uh, and if you do the right thing because you carefully force yourself to do it or because you you've carefully considered it you make this choice uh, which is sort of what the deontolo the kantian would say is like yeah that's good it's the intent that matters like Stephen was saying um then that is what makes it good but i, I think in virtue ethics um what's good is having the habits of character that do whatever these things called virtues are mm -hmm. um I think there's one last wrinkle, and I and most basically everything I know about virtue ethics starts and stops with Aristotle. So I think the the school of thought has come a lot has come pretty far in the last two thousand years, and I'm I'm out of date. But my I, I think at least historically, ethics in the in the context of like Greek philosophy wasn't just like how we think of like morals. It was like it was about cultivating like an overall good life. So it was not like where do I give my charity money or how much do I give. It's just, just like what kind of person should I be? Right? Is that close yeah? To the I point? I think that's a that's yeah that's another great thing. Is it, it was a broader question. Like we tend to think of these days as uh, especially among rationalists as a, an ethical theory is sort of a decision theory. Mm -hmm. It's like when you're presented with a choice, figure out what are the choices are, and then how to choose the right one. And your ethical system should be the one that leads you to make the right choice. But there, there's a sense in which not everything you do in life is a choice. Right. A lot of it is automatic. Um, a lot of it is not something you're thinking about. And there's there's also another sense in which maybe you have this rule for making making the correct choice according to some criteria. But how do you know whether you have the right criteria or not? 
right? How do you how do you develop that? And so I, I think in yeah in ancient Greece the the question of ethics was not um, how do I follow the rules? How do I donate the right amount to charity? How do I do whatever the correct decision is? It's more what kind of life do I want to live? How should I live my life? How should one live? That's that's the question. How how best to do it? And so virtue ethics is maybe tackling a broader question, although utilitarianism seems to be more about maybe the question of like how to do things for a whole society wide level. So I don't know that it's, it's maybe broader on the personal level, but the scope is smaller because it's more individual. I think it's, I don't know if this is just obvious and self-evident or if I am really projecting uh, here, but I think in my opinion, it is very obvious and self-evident that the whole purpose of ethics is to get people to be able to live together and do things together. It's it's what makes society function. Like, there is no ethics if you are on an island alone. It doesn't matter. You don't have other people to interact with. But uh, the what ethics is, is getting other people to do things that are pro-social. And so that's why ethics, you know, focuses a lot on reward and punishment and what should you do and shouldn't you do. And I think virtue ethics... Correct me if I'm wrong about that last part, but I do think that virtue ethics is the thing where instead of trying to evaluate each individual action as to is this pro-social, does this help society exist, it is more about like how do we make humans that in general just going about their daily lives and functioning tend to have a society that exists and functions well. Because, like, the whole point of ethics is to make other people do stuff you want them to do and not do stuff you don't want them to do, right? Like, don't murder my family. Do please help me out when I'm dying. That kind of thing. So then the best ethics would be, you guys should all give me all of your money, <laughs> and I should never give you my money? Sure, but that doesn't generalize, which is why that is not a good ethics. Okay. I I don't know if I actually buy the premise that you have to have multiple people. I think that if you're stranded on a desert island, there are better and worse ways to live. Like, not just, like, better, like, to increase your odds of survival, mm -hmm. but, like, just you could be a better or worse person, I don't even think, by yourself. I don't think that counts as ethics, then. That's I, just, like... Does your life suck or not? That's a really bizarre thing to think about, though. Like, for some reason, what popped into my mind was, okay, so you could, uh, you know, hunt and fish uh, like, responsibly and take what you need. Or you could just set all of the trees on fire and destroy the <laughs> island, and it's kind of... Or you could just masturbate until you starve. Yeah. yeah. Uh, or, or you could sit there and like, just... It's like, how do you evaluate these, though? Because it's for who? I mean, it's. I, I keep, you know, when it's I'm trying to think of yourself. whether something is... Well, no, I mean, it could be for the plants and animals or for the other people, you know, who might come and settle on this island someday. Or I'm going to assume that we're divorced from the other society, so you don't have to think about other people coming to settle. I guess whether the plants and animals on the island matter is up for debate. Depends on whether you personally think that I, plants just, and animals are moral characters, right? Yeah, I, I mean, that, that's a consideration, too. I'm just thinking, because that's almost more utilitarian. I think you could be a better or worse person alone in a cave, you know, forever, like... You could be miserable and hating your life in there, or mm -hmm. you can try to be happy and, you know, live as well as you can, you know? Yeah, but that's so, a misery or happiness. That's not ethics. Well, so that, that I think, is oh, where is that, that's that's is where the key... What? Is it or isn't it, right? Like, <laughs> well, okay. I, I, I think that this... I don't... Sorry, I don't mean to cut you off. No, no, no. That, I'll, I'll, I'll let you drive. I was just... That was my thought on, like, if, if it's how, how should I live, if that's ethics, then that's definitely in the umbrella, right? It doesn't matter how you live if you aren't interacting with anyone else. Like, literally, I just don't give a fuck. What wouldn't you rather be yourself? happy than alone? Wouldn't you rather be happy than sad? I would rather be, yeah. And I, so I would do things, but those aren't ethics. That's just me living in. Okay, my yeah. Life. So, so I think then maybe we taboo ethics. Just I think there's a lot of utilitarians who would say that is ethics. Who would say that, like you, suppose you're the only person in the world, or the only person in the world whose whose 
uh, I don't know, happiness levels you can affect, mm -hmm. right? I, I think that the way that utilitarianism, I don't know, generalizes, uh, condenses to that, the case of you're the only person is you have a moral duty to make yourself as happy as possible. Hmm. Um, at least under, you know, because who or to satisfy your preferences as thoroughly as possible. Who is imposing that duty on me if no one else exists? Um, so I, I think that most... I mean, to say I have a moral duty if no one else exists implies that there's some greater being or something, right? That is imposing a duty on me. So I don't, I don't think people... I don't think this is a duty imposed on you by somebody, right? Like I... The... So you, you're a member of society now, right? Yeah, like yeah. you're out here, there's people you can affect. Who's imposing on you the duty to try and maximize the greatest good for the greatest number or whatever else it is that you feel like Everyone you Everyone else here. So the I, greatest I'm, number. I'm not. I'm not going to like take a whip to you. And I mean, start you cracking. say that now, but if I start like stealing from you and physically abusing you, you're going you're gonna to have some issues with well, that. Well, maybe I'll stop hanging out with you. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> Which is a cost to me. I like your friendship. Okay, so so you're saying here that maybe ethics is is like your sort of self-interest for you. It's is that everybody's... it's in the interest of you to have society going well and to be friends with people. I mean, that's society literally created things so that it is in my self-interest to work well with society. Yeah, that's 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 ethics. Yeah, I, so I, make it in people's self-interest to make society work well. I, I think that is one view of ethics that it's sort of um, what you should do that. What, when we say something is good, what we mean is it's it's sort of in your enlightened self-interest, maybe. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think that there are there are other versions of it that aren't that. Um, and uh, some of them are very weird. Okay. Some of them are like, morality is this, you know, it's it's a separate kind of fact that doesn't really, you know, it can describe things in the natural world, but it doesn't relate to them at all. Like like the epiphenomenal consciousness people right, stuff. Right, right, yeah. Right, like there's, there's some versions of it that are like that. There's some versions that are like, uh, morality is not real when i say something's good all i mean is i like this and you should too yeah yeah or i like this and i want you to too because should implies that there's a reason why you should right um i uh, mean there might be some reason too if other people also like the thing then you might get more of the thing right yeah so. but i i think like so if you if you look at like like from an enlightened self-interest perspective it could be that there are things that you want that you don't realize you want yet mm -hmm. right and uh um, maybe if you're all alone on a deserted island, that uh, there are things that would be better or worse for you to do from the perspective of your own self-interest. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that this this human flourishing, like become the best you, if you will, of virtue ethics, is not totally divorced from that. I don't think it's totally the same either. Uh, um, well, I guess I should say I'm not sure if it's totally the same. It might be. But I, this is this is something that I'm not sure about personally. So... I'm well. I'm of the opinion that there may be other other formulations of ethics out there, but I am unconvinced that they aren't wrong. So, and I think but I it, think that's, that's just my own personal. Yeah, that's just my, that's just my opinion, man. Whatever's true, everybody. Whatever's true, there's a lot of wrong people out there. Yeah, right. But I, I also think that like being the best you you can be is something that is very beneficial for society, which is why society in general wants to encourage that in people. Yeah, I think that's true, and I think it's not even. Not even necessarily distinct from this utilitarian greatest good, greatest number, right? Like mm -hmm. maybe if maybe being the best you you can be in this teleological sense, um, maybe it's just like coming from a different angle towards the same thing of maximizing utility, by which we mean not exactly happiness hedonically, but like whatever long term. Everyone everyone wants to use the same word, which is eudaimonia, to mean like this thing that. It's kind of like happiness, but it's not just happiness because happiness might be like wrong or it might be incomplete or it might be, you know, we don't want you to just be wireheaded happy. We don't want you yeah. to just have this pleasure. 
there are some people who bite the bullet and say, no, it's just happiness or it's right. just pleasure. But yeah. in, in general, people sort of have the same notion of, uh, sh- shall we just say human flourishing yeah. and agree that that's the goal and differ perhaps about why that that's the goal or how to get there. I think Julia Gillip has the best definition of eudaimonia, eudaimonia I've ever heard, mm-hmm. which is happiness minus whatever philosophical objections you have to happiness. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So it's like, you know, all the things like, well, what about this? Like, the, the not that part, right? Right, right. <laughs> yeah. What about wireheading? The not wireheading. <laughs> yeah, I do think that's a good one. It's at least succinct. Flourishing is close, but it's like people think of plants or whatever, which isn't necessarily like the worst analogy, you know, but it's harder to sell maybe. Yeah. But, all right. So yeah. do, did we have any more on that before we move on? Mm, no. I, I maybe one more comment, Go which is it. that I'm throwing around this word teleological. Mm, and that, yeah, that might yeah. be a Tell fun thing to spend 10 minutes talking about. Okay. So that's, that's, uh, it's, it sort of means of a relating to like a purpose or an ultimate goal or function. Um, so it comes from this Greek word telos, which means ultimate end or, or purpose or use. So you might say like, like the telos of a hammer is to drive nails. That's what it's made for. That's its purpose. Mm-hmm. Um, a good hammer is one that drives nails. Well, a bad hammer is one that you try and hit and it keeps bouncing off or it's not, you know, like the nail sticks into the head and it can't yeah. quite go. Um, and so there, there's this idea that this is this is sort of where virtue ethics sources is things like how should I live well? Well, living well um, for a human is sort of like being a good human in the same way that a hammer might be a better hammer or a worse hammer. And a lot of a lot of people these days, I think, scoff at this idea. Particularly if you're not religious, you're like, I don't have a purpose. You know, that sounds like that sounds like this God stuff. That sounds like God made you to do X, Y, Z. Right. And I, I think maybe another trap is to fall into it and say, like, evolution made me to propagate my genes. And so, therefore, like, morality is all about having as much, as many babies as I can. Um, I, I think this is where, like, the, the God shatter stuff comes in. Like, you're not, you're not whatever evolution was selecting you to be. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, the, you might or might not be whatever God created you for if you believe in God. Um, and if you don't, then you don't have to worry about that. Uh, but that there, there is something that it means to be a human being. And if it, if it can be something that you can be better or worse at, you know, cause you can be, uh, McIntyre has this great passage that I actually have flagged down about. You want to pull it out? Yeah, let me pull it out. So he, he's talking about, uh, uh, getting, getting an ought from an is right. This mm-hmm. is Hume's fork famous dilemma that no matter where you start with an, uh, a proposition about things that are, you can never pull out something that uh, should like X, X is red. Therefore you should run away from it or you should stop at the stoplight. I mean, that's, that's a very crude example. I think you can get aughts from is's in some cases. Not without a values insertion. That's his point. Yeah. He, he says like, you can't, unless you already add another ought premise, like, like you say, if the stoplight is red, I should stop at the stoplight if you assume that you should care about society running and not try and cause car crashes, right? <laughs> but then you're 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 assuming this other thing that already has should in it, right? And he's bas- he basically says you can't without a should. But uh, McIntyre talks about you can describe somebody suppose suppose you have a farmer, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, from such factual premises about is is like he gets a better yield for this crop per acre than any farmer in the district. He has the most effective program of soil renewal yet known, or his dairy herd wins all the first prizes at the agricultural shows. Um, it validly follows that he is a good farmer, right? There's something that it means to be a farmer. There's something that it means to do it better or to do it worse. Mm-hmm. And uh, if your cows are winning first prize, you're probably doing it well, mm-hmm. right? And so 
the the thesis of of Aristotle and of uh, people who follow in that tradition since then is sort of that there is something that it means to live better or worse for a human being. And whether you want to call that like being better at being human, um, being, I, I think it is sort of similar to this concept of be the best you that you can be, mm-hmm. right? Because it, it is sort of being better at being you. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you people... How how strictly defined is this? Because I like the be the best you you can be, but then when you say be the best human you can be, that sounds like there is one particular type of being human. And I'm like, there isn't even like one particular type of being me. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I don't I don't like this idea that like if, if someone might be saying you would be a better human if you did this differently. And I'm like, no, that might work for like somebody who is, say, monogamous. Right. But it's not going to work for someone who is not monogamous. Yeah. So uh, speaking only for myself here, I don't think that the same thing that the same exact rules apply to every person because mm-hmm. people are different. Right. And so that's, it's that's why I phrased it as be the best version of you. Yeah. Uh, because I, it seems like it's possible to do better or worse than that. And that, that's sort of, that's sort of the rough teleological meaning. I, I think that it, it's possible to say that maybe there is no such thing, right? But I, I think if you're, if you're work, if you're doing ethics, you probably think that there are, you know, better or worse ways to live, however you mean to ground that. And if you're doing virtue ethics specifically, um, you're working in a tradition that says that sort of, you know, uh, right and wrong is sort of determined by, whether it means you're doing this better version of yourself or this worse version of yourself, right? When you're, when we say right or wrong, we're saying like the right way to be a farmer or the wrong way to be a farmer. Mm-hmm. You know, like if you're killing all your plants, you're doing it wrong. Right. Um, virtue ethics is essentially saying you can talk about your whole life that way. Uh, so that's, that's, that's the teleological bit is, is that good and bad aren't just these characteristics that exist out in the void. They're, it's like good at chess, bad at chess, but good at living, bad at living. Okay. Yeah. I've known a bunch of people that are bad at living. I think I've we all also know some that are really good at living. And holy shit, I want to be like those people. <laughs> those people I, have virtues. I, I suppose so. I like the examples of farming and chess. I, I remember back in the day getting frustrated with like um, moral relativist arguments. And they'd be like, well, your version of good is just yours. Everyone's equally valid. But it's like, I, I like I the counter example of health. And it's like, mm. that's like saying that everyone's definition of health is the same, is equally valid. And some people are just wrong. Like if, if your version of health is like, oh yeah, they're constantly vomiting and they're in pain and they're going to die in five minutes. Like that's not the same <laughs> as being 1975 Arnold Schwarzenegger, you know? Right. Yeah. Like that, you know, granted neither, like maybe neither of those are the peak, but one's definitely a valley. Right. Yeah. And so, uh, you, but you, it's like, all right, let's, let's just assume there's some boundary on this, you know, whether it's like, all right, farming, great. You know, you where I'm prepared to say you suck at farming if all your crops die and all your animals are hungry, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and if you disagree, then by all means, you're welcome to enter the enter the industry of farming, and you will you will be selected out <laughs> when you suck at it. Mm-hmm. Um, There's yeah. some universality. Like, there is the whole like people are different and they have different preferences or different. There's different ways that it's good to be um, Stephen versus Ineash, but like, but there's some universality. You're saying like a good farmer and a good chess player might have some things in common. Like well, a, like a good a, Steven and a good Eniage might have some things in common, insofar as they're both human beings. You you are both human beings, as right. far as you know. <laughs> well, I think what you might be gesturing towards there, Jace, is like virtues, right? Yeah. Like, <laughs> not, not, but I don't mean it like tongue in cheek. I mean like that. That's that. That's the actual thing. And then that, like, and I'm curious what modern thoughts are on like what virtues are, because I, th- I think Aristotle got. I don't know if he hung up is maybe the right way to put it, but he got fixated on this idea 
as far as I understand, of like virtues being the mean between two extremes. And the extremes were vices, and the 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 golden mean, wherever that was, was like the virtue. Hmm. So like courage is somewhere between like cowardice and foolhardiness. Okay. You know, and I I don't know exactly how that fits. I have a but list here of Aristotle's virtues. Perfect. Just, just in case something like this were to arise. <laughs> exactly like Stephen said, he was weirdly fixated on this fact that every virtue is the mean between two vices. So courage is between cowardice and rashness. Uh, temperance was between uh, insensibility, like somebody has no taste, and uh, uh, licentiousness or self-indulgence, who just like trying to sat- satisfy your taste all the time. Um, liberality was between uh, illiberality and prodigality. So it's like how much money should you spend? Uh-huh. Like this whole this whole list is sort of the list of how to be a good upper class person in, <laughs> in ancient Greece. At, yeah, in like yeah. 300 BC Athens. Because that's what he was talking about, and so mm-hmm. his, his and that's who he was teaching in his class at the academy. Actually, the book Nicomachean Ethics, where he talks about this, mm-hmm. it's famously kind of difficult to read because it's like his lecture notes. Okay, so you can you can you can read it, but it's not like it wasn't intended for an audience. It was just sort of his notes that he was going to refer to it's to tw- teach his classes at the academy. It's twelve virtues, right? Um, uh, let me just read the rest. Magnificence is between pettiness and vulgarity. We got magnanimity. Proper ambition and pride between vanity and undue humility. Yeah, some of these don't really fit. <laughs> um, patience and good temper, truthfulness, wittiness, friendliness, modesty, righteous indignation. That's one, two, three, four, righteous five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. <laughs> okay. Yeah, that's between envy is if you, I guess, righteous indignation is the mean between malicious enjoyment, spitefulness, schadenfreude. Like if, you, if you're happy when other people suffer, like, no, you should be upset when other people suffer, yeah. but only the right amount. Okay, because if you're too much, then you could be envious of their success. Okay, I I don't know. Or you could become an SJW. Right. Yeah. Kind of what I'm thinking. There there is a right amount of indignation. Like I think one of the things, it's it's kind of every every characteristic that you could say is like, yeah, it's possible to overdo it. I can't think of anything that maybe it's not possible to overdo because if there were such a thing, then that would be the definition of like the highest good, right? Right. Right. And before someone says giving to charity. Because it turns out you can burn yourself out in nine months, you know, in a month, giving away everything. Yeah. yeah. Whereas if you'd spread it out over the course of a lifetime, you could have given ten times as much. You don't want to neglect your children and have them out on the street because you gave everything to charity. That too. The so the, the thing with the virtues that slightly annoyed me, um, which and I think this is just a a mistake of um, some certain people, is that they get weirdly focused on like the specific twelve virtues or a different list of eight virtues or something, and they're like these are the virtues and. That always like turns me off. I'm like, I don't think there is a specific list of virtues that should be the virtues, right? I I don't want to say that there could not, in theory, exist such a list. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I totally agree. I think I think reading Aristotle and coming away with, oh, these are the twelve things that I should do, and then if I do these well, I'm doing morality right. Um, I I think that's the wrong takeaway. Absolutely. Okay. I keep thinking about, um, man, it's so hard to when when you're talking about like being the best person uh or like being the best farmer i i always i keep like sort of appending at the end of that four question mark like are you being your best self for yourself or for the rest of society like when you think of the desert island example who are you being your best self for mm-hmm. is it for yourself i don't know i mean it's generally for society and that almost always coincides with for yourself i i guess uh yeah, the, the the sort of teleological argument wouldn't be that you're being yourself for anyone. It's sort of that you're just being better at being yourself. And that's what it means to be better is it's not you're better for a reason. It's just like... But what if you're a thief? What Should if you're you a thief? become a better thief? 
So that that's that's I guess what I was saying earlier about it's. I think that a lot of ethical frameworks, and I think that utilitarianism is particularly guilty of this. They don't sort of leave room for growth, right? It's like you have your utility function, and then it's just how do I best satisfy it? But there's not really something built into the structure for what if I have the wrong utility function? How do I revise it and improve it? Right. Uh, because then any change is going to be well. I mean. Maybe there's Pareto improvements, but like any changes <laughs> in general likely to lower the utility of your current function. And so then why would your current function ever lead you to prefer something better? Real I, quick, it's pronounced Pareto? Pareto improvements? Uh, is Pareto? It, is it? I don't know. Like I'm asking because you are the one who went to college and I'm like, <laughs> oh shit, oh. he knows the right way to pronounce it. I don't know. I've oh, only damn. seen it written okay. down. I say Pareto. Um, it might be Pareto. Okay. Uh, I, I thought you knew. Yeah, P-A-R-E-T-O. My, my, my game theory guess. teacher always said Pareto. Pareto? But yeah. I think okay. it's actually Pareto. And I... Pareto. That sounds right, kind of. It was Pareto. I don't actually know what word you guys are using. So. There's this it's guy, Pareto or Pareto, who <laughs> did some work in, in game theory and some other stuff. So he's, he's responsible for the like you I'm know 80 percent of the things optimal. take 20 percent of the work or whatever oh that was him yeah that's oh, the cool. Pareto principle uh 80 20 yeah. um he he has skewed distributions right which is maybe where this 80 20 rule comes from so like the normal distribution is symmetrical and the Pareto distribution is has the hump off to one side yeah. um and he also this this particular concept of a Pareto improvement is where suppose you are trying to i don't know maximize two quantities um in you know, maybe across some like mathematical space and you're just trying to find the highest point for these two properties. It could be that uh, maybe you're at a, a peak, right? You're on top of a mountain, wherever you go, um, you're, you're going down, but it could be that you're on a ridge mm -hmm. and, you know, maybe you can walk over and go higher when uh, one mentioned the other. And so a, a Pareto improvement is, is sort of, or maybe you're playing a game yeah. like a prisoner's dilemma, but not a prisoner's dilemma exactly. And maybe you're both choosing option A and we both get five, right? But then maybe if we both choose option B, I get five and you get six, that's better, right? Mm -hmm. It's not worse for me, and it is better for you. Yeah. That's a Pareto improvement. That's There's the concept of the Pareto frontier where oftentimes, once you're at the maximum amount of like efficiency, the best way to do something, any improvement along one axis like you want more guns you get less butter right you, you can't it's always a trade-off you want more butter you get the less too guns. good a society needs yeah yeah exactly <laughs> the only two things society needs guns and butter but um there you might not be at the frontier you might be lower down where you can do something which will increase the amount of butter without reducing the amount of guns exactly like if you have inefficient cows or something maybe you can upgrade your cows um you threaten them with guns <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah and that would be a Pareto improvement where you have just strictly improved your situation without having to have trade-offs but once you get to the frontier the Pareto frontier that's where you can't have any more improvements without some sort of trade-off somewhere else i've got right. the, the yeah. settlement here vilfredo frederico de Maso pareto 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 is how it's uh emphasized on wikipedia okay cool. yeah he sounds italian so that makes sense vilfredo sounds delicious <laughs> <laughs> anyways that was a tangent what were we talking about um Oh, the, the virtues that people get yeah, stuck on a so list I, of virtues. I, I was saying that, that something like utilitarianism doesn't mm -hmm. offer you uh, Pareto improvements necessarily if you're going to switch functions. In general, you should expect the new function to be worse at satisfying your old function. Right, definitely. And this was in response to, to Jace saying that there's, that you were hung up on this reason of like, why yeah, should you be doing the thing? Or, or, or what? Yeah. Yeah. What are you doing? Uh, what are you doing ethics for? <laughs> or Yeah, I mean, I, I think... I think that ultimately the the teleological answer would be that given that you are a human being, 
um, your, your existence is of a certain kind where you will find that if you do these things, um, I don't see, I, I don't know if it grounds out in happiness or, you know, eudaimonia. Like, I don't, I don't know if it does or not. So I, I trying to phrase myself <laughs> carefully here, but yeah. I, I might just say, I don't know if it does or not, but suppose for a moment that it does, um, then we can use the language to say that given that you're a certain kind of being, you'll find that you will, I don't know, enjoy yourself. You'll flourish best if you do this thing. And so you're sort of doing it for yourself in that sense. Yeah. If, and if you choose that you don't want to, um, I don't know, somebody might say, you're mistaken. You actually do want to. You only think you don't want to. Yeah. And maybe you'd, <laughs> maybe you'd find that out eventually if what you're doing now doesn't result in suicide. That sort of thing always makes me bristle. Like, fuck you. You don't know me. I, th I think all sorts of ethics ultimately are about that, right? Like, you're, like you were saying, you're trying to tell people what to do. Yeah. Um, but I, when I try to tell people what to do with ethics, I know that it is because I want society to work better and that it's not always for their personal improvement. I mean, for, then why, should, why should people if, want to do it then? Well, hopefully if society is working correctly, then it will improve their lives because so society will reward them. <laughs> yeah, but it's not inherently for their improvement. Okay, it's okay. because society is functioning it's, well and, the, and rewards things. They're likely to, to benefit from it, but it's not necessarily the case. It's collateral will. damage. Yeah, yeah. yeah. All right. Yeah. It's, if you set up your society well, then people will be rewarded for not murdering others, <laughs> even if it would otherwise have improved their lives. So you're thinking of like the case where whatever, some great artist is like, I'm done with art because I got my heart broken. Whatever. It's like, no, but you're too good at this. The world needs only stuff that you can do, mm -hmm. right? Or stuff that only you can do. Mm -hmm. you, you you resent somebody telling them that. Or I guess not resent, but like you, you it, that's what rustles your Jimmy's a bit because it's like... I mean, the thing that would rustle my Jimmy particularly is um, um, saying you would be happier if you accepted Jesus into your heart. Let's say something like that. Or you'd be happier if you just picked one person and dedicated your entire life to them and be completely monogamous or something. Like those sorts of things are like, that may be best for some people. That's not for me. You would have a better life if you'd settled down and had children and raised children because children give life ultimate meaning. Like, yeah, maybe for 80% of the people out there, but not everybody wants children. Not everyone finds meaning in children. I noticed you know? the difference between your examples and mine. Yours is saying you'd be better... You'd be a better person if you did what society is telling you to do. Right. And my example is you'd be a better person if you did what you're best at. Yeah, yeah. And maybe that's the difference. Maybe that's, I think, you know, and it's not necessarily like, you know, I, I wouldn't necessarily tell somebody if they're done doing something that they should, but I can see where somebody would be like, oh man, but the world is missing out on the thing that you could be yeah, doing, Yeah, right? so where do mm -hmm. you draw the line between maximizing, like, you know, like doing what is best for you versus for the rest of society? Like if you are, you know, this great artist... Um, but painting is making you miserable, you know, like at what point? Yeah. Let me consult the list of 12 virtues yeah. here. <laughs> I was about uh, to say, maybe that is where the virtues come in. Yeah. I think that, I mean, there's gotta be some sustainability element there, right? Mm -hmm. Like you don't want to, you don't want to flame out a month in. Um, but I, I'm not really sure, you know, like also how sad should you be doing it for the betterment of everyone else? I want to say if you're sad doing it, you shouldn't do it. Like, in, and that's, that's probably where it goes against, you know, some utilitarian grain, which is like. You know, if you're a little sad doing it, that's worth it for the greater good. Right. But like, you know, and I guess, I mean, that's true. You know, like if you give money to charity, you might be a little sadder than if you spent it on hookers and blow. <laughs> but like, you know, there's some level of like hedonic points that you're willing to give up to do the right thing. But I, I don't know. That's why you want to set up society to make people feel better when they give to charity and feel worse when they get hookers and blow. <laughs> what are your thoughts, Carrie? Um, yeah, I, I think that's... I think this is an interesting conversation. Uh, this this is a thing. This actually leads 
to something else that we were talking about the other night, um, which I, I did want to include uh, in this conversation. So that's good. Tell us. It's the, like this, I, I listened to the Very Bad Wizards podcast mm. and they, they did one episode on something by Thomas Nagel or Bernard Williams, I forget who, and uh, about how people sort of don't, people seem to have this different morality for public versus like private for individual versus like, like if you went to see, I don't know who started the war in Vietnam, if that was LBJ or uh, I don't know, Nixon or Kennedy or somebody or other uh, in the sixties. I don't remember my history very well for that part, but like if you, if you went to that person and you might, you might shake their hand. Right. And you might say, even if you disapproved of their policies, you might call them Mr. President. Uh, you might, uh, have a polite conversation with them. Whereas like if you were talking to some random person who, uh, you know, blew up and shot as many people as died as a result of that war, you probably would not treat them with that level of respect. Um, you, you wouldn't be excited about it. And I guess, uh, the, the argument was that this sort of indicates that maybe humans have different approaches to morality for, when it's when it's sort of private versus public and i don't know if that's like someone who's empowered with this power of running the state maybe has different moral expectations um but i i sort of have this thought keeps coming back to me because it really seems like utilitarianism is about what are the best rules what are the best incentives like what can we do to make society better for everybody and it seems like like uh, virtue ethics or also deontology mostly aren't about this, right? Like Kant does have that categorical imperative that like do only um, what you can do as long as you will that everybody would do it. Um, I'm not sure that makes a better society, right? Because there's some weird ways around that. Um, or maybe that is what it was doing. But like it, it, it does seem like there's sort of different things going on. Um, like how much should you trade off your pain as the painter against society's gain from your uh you know the pleasure of your beautiful paintings uh well utilitarianism has one answer to that and it's add up how happy everybody gets from seeing your paintings and then figure out how sad you get from them and well boy there's a lot of people in society so probably you should keep painting and deal with it right or keep painting to whatever maximum extent you can to produce the paintings um taking care of yourself as needed however that is right and i I do think i don't know if this is julia galef or, or someone else makes the point uh, in an EA context that taking care of yourself in a sustainable way probably isn't working yourself almost to the bone. Cause that's mm-hmm. not sustainable. Mm-hmm. That's not, you know, if you're the painter who's going to be depressed for life and doing these paintings, you know, maybe you're going to, in a fit of uh, artistic melancholy, kill yourself at whatever age and then deprive the world of all those future paintings. Right. And so even if you are thinking in this utilitarian sense, um, probably it's usually good to keep yourself, um, happy and able to continue doing whatever work that you are doing, even if that work is small, rather than doing a big work. Um, so I, I'm not sure that that the conditions really diverge here, but it, it does seem that that one of these is fundamentally concerned with sort of society as a whole, and one of them fundamentally isn't that much. I, I do think uh, virtue ethicists would say that yeah, society will prosper if people are virtuous. That that will be good for everybody. Yeah, but. I don't think that will be good for us collectively is the idea. I think that it's good for you individually to do this regardless of however society is structured. Right. I I like that. I think, I mean, I think any virtue ethics that has evolved successfully over hundreds or thousands of years will naturally tend to be one that is good for society because otherwise, you know, it would be 
replaced by a virtue ethics that is better for society. But the fact that it focuses on the individual rather than on the society, I think makes a hell of a big difference. I know it certainly gives me, it's, it's a little more encouraging to yeah, me. Because yeah. ultimately that's the only person you can work on. Yeah, sort of. You can influence others. Yeah. You can teach children. Uh, the example of the painter, I, I find that I have really different responses internally to like, sh- should you force this painter to continue painting for the good of all versus what if this was the the world's best doctor? I feel like I, I feel like it's morally repugnant for, to, to like force the painter, you know, to, to be miserable. But when I, when I change it to the, a doctor who, you know, could cure, he just like, yeah, could save tons of people. Then suddenly I'm like, no, it's eat he would be an evil person to not do that. <laughs> I, so that I was, it's a bit extreme, but I'm trying to at the At the writer's across. retreat I was just at, one of the people was a former ICU nurse mm-hmm. and ran into that sort of thing all the time because hospital always chronically understaffed. Uh, and it was, it was a situation of like, I've just worked a 12-hour shift. I can work another four hours and maybe this person won't die. But what what do you do when like, you can just keep working yourself to the bone or you can go and fucking lay down and have a nap and eat a dinner and people die instead. Like, it's really hard for me to say that you were a bad person because you didn't just keep spending every single minute at the ICU saving people. I liked that conversation between Superman and Lois Lane. I was Lois just Lane. thinking of that. Uh, yeah. yeah, that was that was spot on. I'm, I'm glad we're on the same page. Yeah, it's... Uh, you know, he's like, no, I, I'm at the movies. Yes, I can hear everyone dying in other parts of the world, but I need time for me. Yeah. Just like, you're a monster. And he's like, am I though? Yeah. Like, could you do it? Yes. No, I don't think you could. <laughs> like, <laughs> there, there has to be a, there's, there's a trade-off, right? Mm-hmm. And I... I don't want to say that anyone is bad for not doing that. Yeah, I think if you're miserable, like that, and that, that's maybe, you know, again, one person's misery doesn't counteract ten, a thousand people's happiness, but... I At think, some point. but but uh, like on, if you're counting the numbers, but I think if you if you don't count the numbers, it's like you shouldn't be miserable. Yeah, you know, you you get X decades. If X. you're if you're sad for most of them, that's a bad life. That sucks. We sh- that shouldn't be the case. Yeah, I think at some point you start saying the bad people are the hospitals that don't hire more nurses, or the bad people are the person who decided I would rather be an accountant than a nurse because it's less stress. Or the morons who I refuse won't... to put on their seatbelts and keep arriving in the ICU. Yeah, like, yeah. You well, know. I mean, like personally, I. I like accounting because if I don't like who I'm working for or what I'm doing, I can just be like, fuck you, I'm going home, fire me if you really want. Uh, whereas as a nurse, if I were to do that, if I was being maltreated by my boss, this person could die if I tell my boss to fuck off and I'm going home. And that sucks. And so maybe the real monsters are the people who decided to be accountants and programmers and other things rather than ICU nurses. And uh, so put the blame not on the ICU nurses what i'm trying to say here sometimes the, the system is just the, cir- the circumstances are just a drag right yeah you know like i jokingly blame the people showing up but it's not really their fault it, sometimes people are, are reckless you yeah. know people are hurt by fireworks every year even though it says right on the thing don't blow this up in your face um, <laughs> but do like, not light and then insert into nose right you know there, there was a you know i think I, I didn't follow it that closely but i think there were uh at least a sentiment of like we should treat people who are get, showing up, you know, with COVID, you know, a year after the vaccines come out, we should we should treat them like last, mm-hmm. or at least not first. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if that that was true or if that was just something that people said, but like uh, at some point you're like, all right, look, you're you're making this hard on everybody because of you, not because of like you know stuff outside your control. Yeah, but I don't know. I I I don't quite know how to solve that riddle. At least not right off. I don't. 
Yeah, I think anyone does. <laughs> or well, maybe Carrie does. <laughs> people have uh, different opinions about what that answer is. Uh, <laughs> I didn't have more thoughts than I guess <laughs> waiting to see what Carrie was going to say. No, I don't, maybe I don't, it would be a thing really of like to contribute either. Virtue, covered it. virtue ethicism would help a person feel a certain amount of responsibility and uh, cultivate a certain amount of anti-laziness. What would that word be? Studiousness? I don't know. And like industriousness. The, industriousness. Yeah. There we go. A certain feeling of responsibility and a certain industriousness that keeps people doing good things, but not so much that it's pathological. Um, and like that's my problem with utilitarianism because utilitarianism does not have any end point. Yeah. Um, it, 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 it doesn't it, have that trade off. It has yeah. exactly one. When the when the thing that you're sacrificing is of comparable comparable moral worth to the child to the child you're not saving. Yeah. Right. Exactly. So and, it's like, well, just, this this cup of coffee, shit. You know, that's that's x. That's a X percentage of a life, right? Yeah. So as soon as the thing you're sacrificing is of that comparable moral worth, that's the cutoff line. <laughs> and that humans can't live like that. That is a pathological ethic system that that makes people feel bad for not, you know, for thinking, I just went to a movie that is one one hundredth of a child's life to go to this movie and get popcorn. It was a great short story. Um, I don't know what it was called. Are you talking about me? Yeah. Okay. I, I, I yes, I, I used that example because that was in my short story called "I See Dead Kids." That's what it was. Yeah. I like the title. I wasn't trying to, you know. No, I'll plug it for you. Okay, yeah. thank you. <laughs> I see dead kids. So you can Google it. It's online. Uh, Enosh wrote it. It is. Yeah. But I still like effective altruism. I think it's a good thing. I just have this one particular problem where there is no philosophical reason not to go absolutely nuts and. I think virtue ethics can help mitigate that. Um, so yeah, I, I I think it would, right? Like I, th I think if you were, so I, I've I've read Singer um, mm. on the life you can save. Uh, I I think I think EA. I think probably everyone agrees um, who's going to be listening to this that EA certainly gets it right that insofar as you are being altruistic, you should be effectively altruistic. You shouldn't mm -hmm. waste your money, mm -hmm. uh, and that some things are more important than others even even if they are equally effective with how they use your money right and i i think also ea gets it right that um and and singer gets it right that you shouldn't just not care about people who are far away from you right, right? um i i think that there's this is this is maybe just me personally is is that i i feel like i don't have any sort of moral obligation to people who are outside of my community mm -hmm. and singer's argument is and there's there's different levels of community right like my my uh direct family my brothers and sisters and my dad are not on the same level as like the people who live across town from me who are maybe not on the same level as like the people who live in america but on the other side of the continent or whatever mm -hmm. you know uh, i i think singer makes a good argument that now people who are who are far away from you very much in the world, in culture, in in any sort of who you've never heard of, um, you do have some level of obligation to them. But I, I think that that the utilitarian thinking, which counts everybody equally, is maybe not modeling psychologically how people think about this. Mm -hmm. And I, I would say that insofar as it, it, it does treat everybody equally in terms of what who you have an obligation to help, that I think it's actually wrong. Um, I think it's it's correct if you're like a policymaker or you know president or an AI who who has the power broadly to affect all sorts of different people. You know, it seems like the the prescriptions of utilitarianism are sort of 
the same prescriptions that we would apply to an uncorrupt, unbiased policymaker, right? Like you shouldn't favor your family more than anyone else. Yeah. You shouldn't do this. You shouldn't do that. You should try to do the greatest good for everybody in a society as a whole, even if that means people are worse off. Um, but I, I don't think that you as an individual human who's generally not in a position of large power and responsibility has the obligation to care about people in that fashion. I think that you're going to have circles of concern and that those will include people who are far away um, in the world. But there's uh, a preference order, sort of. Yeah. yeah there's a, it's not even or, just uh, a preference order. And I don't even know if it's just like a, like a discount, uh, because I think as, as long as it's numerical, this problem will exist. As long as it's like, you know, what if there's what if there's a billion drowning children, right? Well, if you only care about them 1% as much as, uh, you know, your neighbor, well, there's way more of them, and they're way worse. And so you have an obligation to help. I don't... I feel... It's a sort of, I don't know, it's, it's not a Pascal's mugging exactly. It's a, I, I feel like that sort of argument doesn't hold. I, I feel like you have a very limited obligation, and that, that's limited not in terms of, I mean, it's partly limited by the good that you can do to people mm -hmm. um, who are very distant from you, who are outside of most of, you know, very only in a, the community of all humans are in the community with you. Yeah. Um, but I, I think that that is also, there's there's some finite amount, whatever that happens to be, I don't know what it is that uh that you can expect it to be responsible for maybe it's 10 percent, and giving what we can has it right hmm. what if what if uh your sister uh has some illness and it's gonna cost you like 300 dollars to buy her medicine and but then you're like but the same 300 dollars could cure the same disease for an entire village of people in ghana <laughs> i think that that's that's where like it and then it's sort of like, what if you don't like your sister and you've been estranged? <laughs> well, like, sure, you would. Yeah, but I, mean, but I think it, society would still say it's it, you should help your sister. Well, if, if he's your if he's, if he's your neighbor that you hate, you know, then you're I think you're under an obligation to do stuff. It's weird. But what if it's your sister that you hate? Yeah, I mean, I I don't know if that <laughs> should matter, but this I I just liked that what Carrie was saying kind of made me kind of was reminiscent of what I was saying before, which is like you know when I take a god's eye view of like. What should I do? Utilitarian makes the, you know, if, mm -hmm. I'm, if I'm in a Rawlsian original position designing the world, mm -hmm. then yeah, you know, I'm not going to just pick my friends, right? Or if you're that, in Congress. You're right. Yeah, yeah, you'd be a dick. Like, if you're, if you're just, if you're going to build the world from scratch and privilege all your friends and family, but if, if you're in your life and you're just, you know, living in, in your, you know, human meat suit with your, with your squishy brain that likes your friends more than it likes strangers that you've never seen and never will see, like, you're doing the best you can, you know? And I think, honestly, that's not just you're doing your best you can. I think that is morally correct uh, if you are a small, limited human. Because um, I'm going to take the question of do you hate your sister out here because hatred really complicates things a lot. But Yeah, sorry. I was just sort of making the question more difficult for fun. Okay. But I think like <laughs> if you have $300 to save your sister or $300 to save an entire village, the correct thing is to save your sister because you have far more knowledge about her condition and ability to affect it. And like maybe you could give those $300 to the villagers and it might help something. But I think always you take care of your own sphere first. It's like if if you're in a city and you take care of your own block first and make sure your block is in good working order and people there are happy and living fine, if everybody takes care of their own block first like that, then you have a good functioning working city. Whereas if you're trying to go across the city and intervene in other people's blocks, like you don't know if maybe they are know something you don't know that you don't have as much knowledge and as much power to do that. I keep thinking like of the liver 
the liver should definitely keep doing its liver things first before it starts trying to pump my blood around <laughs> because the liver is better at its liver stuff and I don't want it to be doing everything at once and thinking like, oh, my, the, but the heart needs help. I'm going to help out the heart right now. Like, st stick to your own thing. And then once your own situation is under control, then with extra resources you can have, you can start going further out and further out. But Okay. I think I could simplify this. Like clean up your own house first kind of thing? Yeah. Or, you know, put on your own oxygen mask first. Exactly. Yeah. When you're helping your sister or your com community first, uh, you're part of that. Yeah, I like the the help help put on your own oxygen mask for helping your the person sitting next to you. Yeah, I mean, because you can't help the person next to you if you're if you're starving for air. That's kind of the point, right? Mm -hmm. Then you're just like frantically grabbing their face, trying to you know keeping them from getting their mask on. So like you get your shit together, then you can help other people. Generalize that to a whole community. Yeah, I think like put on your own com your community's oxygen mask before <laughs> yeah. the one next to you the other and thing like, that i like when about your these sister is breathing fine then maybe your sister will finally be able to have the wherewithal to help other people near her put on oxygen masks or whatever and mm. it ripples outward from there i'm not sure so i i guess i i don't entirely endorse this metaphor right just because i i think that if someone's far enough away from you you don't really have an obligation to put on their oxygen mask mm -hmm. right and i guess the the thinking of it as an oxygen mask sort of puts in mind you know the the artist or the icu nurse who is maybe going to be, you know, like take care of yourself and then try to take care of others. Mm -hmm. I, I guess what I was saying is it's not so much that you should take care of yourself first and your communities first. It's, it's that I, I actually think you have a, your obligation is in fact limited mm -hmm. um, to other people. And it's not just that you, you do have a stronger obligation to people towards you and, um, and maybe you should prefer them in that sense. But the, the thing that I was trying to say is that, no, I, I actually think that for, for some far enough away uh you know that doesn't happen to exist now but has existed at times in the past and probably will again if uh if we make it off this planet mm -hmm. right that uh uh that there there will be people who are far enough away from you that you don't it's not your job to care whether they have an oxygen mask on or not yeah. and that you shouldn't feel bad about that and uh you don't think that exists right now i I don't know. Uh, reading, reading. I mean, maybe it does. Have you heard of Will McCaskill's latest book? <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I've heard of it. I haven't read it. But no, re reading The Life, I, I'm i not sure if I ever had a, a firm thought on this. But no, after reading The Life You Can Save, I, I don't think that exists in society as it is. I think that we're all interconnected enough that um, hu all human beings on Earth are part of vaguely at least some form of community that entails that you do have some sort of moral obligation to other people on the planet. Uh, wherever they happen to be because we have the means the ability to to affect them and we we do so anyway um, but it might be a very small obligation i i think the obligation is is small and not I guess what i'm thinking not just in a percentage terms but as as a, a cap of your total interest expenditures maybe like specifically right now i'm thinking about the women in iran uh, women in iran since they uh are finally doing something about that entire fucking situation and like i am very happy that uh People are finally fighting back against uh, the, that regime there. Uh, but, like, do do I have an obligation? I, I'm assuming I don't have an obligation to fly over to Iran and riot in the streets with them. But do I have an obligation even to send money? If I did, where would I send it to? Or, or is my obligation entirely just like, yeah, you go. I'm glad that the regime is getting fucked. And um, if if a politician wants to support them, then I will support that politician. Uh I mean, if, if you're asking me what I specifically think your obligation is there... You're the one who said everyone has an obligation to everyone. Yeah, so uh, I 
I I don't think you your obligation extends to trying to help people who are rioting against Khomeini in Iran. I think it'd be great if you wanted to do that. And if you if you feel like helping a lot because yeah. it's no, a cause that you care about great. more than what's others. An yeah. Obligation, I, I don't think that you you're morally obliged to to help them overturn the regime, no. But like um you might be morally obliged to it just I don't know, it doesn't seem as bad as like people dying of malaria, right? I mean, sure, but you said everyone has an obligation to everyone, so there's some obligation, or is there not because it's their not situation isn't bad enough? So I, I think like yeah, that's that's fair. I when I say has an obligation, I don't mean are obliged to help in whatever it is they're doing, right? Mm-hmm. I mean have to factor their circumstances into your considerations with what you're doing. Okay. And um if all of the the wind from our coal factories went straight over to some other country, it's like just because we can't see them doesn't mean that they're not suffering and that you shouldn't. Right. No, that's else. that's a big but thing. In, like in, in particular, I would biggest. say, it, relative to other places in the world, um, even though the political regime really sucks there, mm-hmm. people in Iran seem to have it pretty good, relatively speaking, to some other places. Mm-hmm. And so it it strikes me as um, distant enough. I mean, unless you have ties to Iran personally that I don't know about that I don't have. Right? I do not. It's, it strikes me as somewhere that is distant enough um, and not bad enough that you have a specific obligation to help. Okay. Uh, but the, I mean, this is this is my impression. I don't know. Well, your obligation might extend insofar as that is, if their situation got sufficiently bad, then you're obligated to do. Then then you do something, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Um, like that's where you start sending your charity dollars instead of if it if the situation got worse than. Uh, malaria-stricken Africa, then 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 Iran starts getting your charity money instead of malaria. Well, right? Yeah, like I, I send some money to give well charities because it's like I I I feel like I have some obligation financially to do what I can to help people in other parts of the places that I yeah. that are doing very badly because it seems like they're doing very badly. But I don't know the circumstances, so I'm just going to try and contribute to people who do know the circumstances, who know how to help better. I give to their maximum impact fund. Yeah, exactly. Because I'm yeah. like, I, I'm not going to even do the quarterly research on whatever the most important thing is. You guys are paid. You guys know what you're doing. Yeah. You and guys it, spend it how you see fit. If, uh, yeah, if protesters <laughs> in Iran wind up on there, then probably those people who spend all their time evaluating who's in most need of money probably know better than I would. Okay. So how does virtue ethics tie into that? Um, yeah. I, I, so actually, that's, that's a good time. Because I, I want to bring up... This this is almost a non-answer, but I'll try to tie it back afterwards. Fuck yeah! That's uh, because uh, those are the best kind of answers. Yeah, because you asked me earlier also um, about the twelve virtues of Aristotle being specific things that, like, if you walk away with those, maybe you're not doing it right. Right. Um, so there's there's this notion of what a virtue is in uh, Alistair McIntyre's book After Virtue, which I really like a lot, mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm going to try and read to you. So he has this notion of of what he calls a practice. And I'm, I'm just going to read this here. By a practice, I'm going to mean any coherent and complex form of socially established cooperative human activity through which goods internal to that form of activity are realized in the course of trying to achieve those standards of excellence which are appropriate to and partially definitive of that form of activity. All right, give it to me in English. It's, it's, still, it's still going. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> With the result that human powers to achieve excellence and human conceptions of the ends and the goods involved are systematically extended. Okay, so what does that mean? So practice is um, it's, it's complex, socially established, cooperative human, right? So this is something that applies to human beings. It would not apply to AIs. Um, maybe AIs would have their own version of this. Um, cooperative, it involves other people. It's not something you just do on your lonesome, right? 
through which goods internal to that form of activity. So a good is like, um, if you're supposed to playing chess, a good internal, it's good, like a good end, like a good, a, a terminal sort of value within the context of chess, mm-hmm. right? So it might be being better at chess, um, or it might be being a pillar of the chess community, mm-hmm. but it probably would not be, um, like <laughs> cheating at chess, wi- yeah, wi- winning at chess for candy or money. Right. Yeah. Um, because that would be external to chess. You're not doing it for chess, right? Being a pillar of the chess community also wouldn't be internal to chess, but it would be internal to sort of community participation. Uh, and uh, it's, it's not everything that's socially involved. It's only, only certain kinds of things that, uh, where you can extend your notion of the good by participating. I don't know. That's complicated. Let's ignore that part. All right. Right. So he says a virtue is an acquired human quality, the possession and exercise of which tends to enable us to achieve those goods, which are internal to practices and the lack of which effectively prevents us from achieving any such goods. So what you think, I guess what you think about this, there are, there are certain types of activities which are not all activities, but which generally anything that you do with people is going to be one. And if you think about getting better at that, and maybe it's, maybe it's board games. I mean, maybe it's like speed running, right? Like that's a thing you do by yourself, but you do it by trying to set records. And so I, I feel like it, it is part of this community that you're doing it. Right. Um, or maybe it's, uh, I don't know, maybe it's farming and bringing your cows to the farm fair or whatever. But a virtue is something which makes you better at um, achieving goods internal to practices. So if the practice itself is evil, maybe there's not goods internal to it, right? Maybe like the, the competitive slave torture event um, <laughs> oh outside of a BDSM yeah. community where yeah, everything yeah, yeah. is voluntary or whatever. Like, what a, you know, the, the competitive slave torture event is probably you're not going to be achieving goods internal to that practices because what are they? Um, but in, insofar as, as some practice has, has goods that you can achieve that are internal to it, a virtue is just something which makes you better at it, which kind of is like, hmm. uh, you know, if, if you're really into something, uh, then you're becoming a better person by being better at that thing. Uh, because you are, because in order to become better at it, you have to develop virtues okay. or maybe vice versa. Anything that makes you better at it, uh, is a virtue. Okay. So anything that makes you better at something that it's good to do is a virtue um yeah i suppose okay <laughs> yeah i i forgot the thing i was going to bring this back to what was i going to bring this back to what does that have to do with virtue ethics what does yeah what does notions about bounded responsibility to people on the other side of the world have yeah. to do with virtue ethics so um i i think that uh isn't responsibility a virtue basically uh, I think so. Yeah, I think if you're irresponsible, you're going to suck at a lot of things. Yeah, yeah. I, and you know, I think they in the idea of things being like a golden mean or whatever. Like you can have an overdeveloped sense of responsibility where you feel you're OCD. Well, not just OCD, but um, I, I, I'm bringing up the example again of someone who abandons their family to help strangers because that was in um, the story that the ICU nurse wrote. And I'm not sure if I'm allowed to drop names here or not, so I'm not going to. Um, but it. it there was a character who was abandoned by her father and everyone loves her father because her father is this great virtuous person that goes to third world countries and helps other people and has saved dozens of lives. And yet she had no father and was abandoned in her childhood because he was doing that. And I think that's really shitty of him and he's not a good person. And so like the responsibility, if responsibility is a virtue, that is something that you can cultivate and grow in and get better at and that'll prevent bad things like that. Yeah, I I think... Sorry, go ahead. Sorry, please. I was just uh, thinking also of excessive responsibility, like the you know EAs who burn themselves out mm-hmm. by trying to do more than like 
than they're capable of. Right. Uh, I don't know if that's because it that sounds like two kinds of being bad at responsibility. I've even met people who are overly responsible in life to the point where they sort of cripple others' abilities to learn how to manage their own lives because they yeah. solve all of somebody else's problems for them. Oh, that was me. Okay. Or like continues to be me. I'm trying to get better at it. But yeah, like I have a pathological rescuer caretaker right. trait. And then the people <laughs> will just end up using you as, you know, their 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 crutch. I don't want to say crutch, but like they become dependent on you and that's yeah. not good either. Why would they learn to fish if you're, if, you're, if, you're, if you're giving them fish every day? You're a learned yeah. helplessness tutor. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was going to say, actually. <laughs> I was going to say I'm teaching them helplessness. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Yeah. So I, I guess what, what virtue ethics has to say about uh, that might be that it, it seems like by McIntyre's definition of a practice, participating in it, just like being a member of society mm-hmm. is a practice. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe one of those goods internal to it is probably having a sense of, you know, what you can do, what you can't, who you have strong obligations to versus weaker. Mm-hmm. Um, this this is, again, my own thinking. I haven't heard this elucidated anywhere, and maybe there are reasons why it's false that uh, some listener will be happy to point out. But it, it seems to me that this person whose father went off to try and help people in need around the world while ignoring his own daughter had, had you know, had his, his, his heart was in the right place trying to help people, mm-hmm. but his sense of who who most needs my help in particular was maybe not very well developed yeah. or was, was wrong about that. And so I, I think virtue ethics would say that that's, that's also a thing that you need to develop. It's not just your sense of helping people, but also your sense of, you know, who should I in particular help? Does this book talk at all? So very few, I know almost nothing about virtue ethics. I just stumbled across something recently where someone was arguing that incompetence is bad in a different level of things that being good and bad at something are like for example children are often bad at some of the various virtues because they're children they're still learning right and oftentimes you can be bad at something just because you didn't really realize that was a thing you had to work on you find out later in life like oh this is this is something important i got to work on this too now and so like like you can be good or bad at chess in the same way you can be good or bad at courage or you can be good or bad at responsibility but you aren't necessarily a bad person if you're bad at a virtue you're saying you're a bad person if you are incompetent at a virtue at a way that is just like you don't care to improve yourself in that manner. And that a lot of virtue ethics is about doing the practice and the work that virtues are like skills. You you work at them to get better at them. Like you keep getting better at a guitar the more you play a guitar. You keep getting better at being courageous or responsible the more you practice being courageous or responsible. And the people who are actually bad people are the ones who don't do the practice trying to get better at those virtues. So I, I think we're maybe running into the, the long history of ethics, having some definitions that aren't, aren't necessarily compatible. Mm. So I, I think that, I think it's perfectly fine to think in those terms, mm. right? I, I think that these days we have a sense that a, whether a person is good or bad should be determined by sort of what they intend. Um, I, I think that virtue ethics as originally thought of didn't have that at all, mm. right? It's like you can, if you intend the right thing and you're always, you know, incompetent at doing it, um, you're, you're not really, you're bad at doing stuff, right? That makes you a bad person because just, you're bad at doing things. Just picture a blacksmith who can't make a decent knife, even though they're really trying, yeah. but like they refuse to learn the proper way of doing it. But yeah. their, their intention is to keep making a good one. Are they therefore like, a good blacksmith? Right. No. no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not, not. So I, I think virtue ethics would, would not say that. But again, again, this maybe goes back to the split I was mentioning earlier between what motivates your sense of the good and what strategy do you have for pursuing it? I think 
it's totally fair and very valuable, no matter what your standpoint is, to consider virtues as skills, as a sense of pursuing whatever ends that your ethical system says that you should, right? I think that virtue ethics, as maybe elaborated by Aristotle, wouldn't say that you are a good person if you always intend to do well, but you're just bad at it. Um, uh, if you keep trying to improve, you might say, yeah, you'll you'll get better. Because, I was about to uh, say, even a shitty blacksmith, if he keeps blacksmithing for 20 years, is going to get better at it, right? Right, yeah. And so I, I think that that's a thing. But there, there's like some weird, you know, like if you're just bad at things and you're bad at improving at them and there's like not any way to get better. Inefficient improvement. <laughs> right. Like I, I think... I mean, you could learn, you could get better at getting better, right? That's mm-hmm. also a thing. And that, that probably is a virtue as well. Mm-hmm. Um, a, lot of, a lot of ethical systems, particularly the ones that rationalists like, and I think this includes both virtue ethics and utilitarianism, have some very tough pills to swallow, though, when it, we talk about good and bad like that. Like, if, if somebody's just bad at everything, um, virtue ethics probably says, yeah, that makes you a bad person because that's what it means to be a bad person. Yeah. Um, if you're bad at courage and bad at responsibility and bad at... And bad love. at improving at those things. And, yeah. And yeah. bad at caring about improving at those things. Right. Right? Like, and I think I think utilitarianism might say something similar, right? Like, uh, because it's all, it's this consequence orientedness. So if you, if you intend to do these good things, they keep having bad consequences, right? Like, well, you're you're just responsible for all these bad things happening. That is on you. That's that's what you've done. And so if you evaluate, you know, evaluating a person as good or bad is maybe not a thing that utilitarianism tries to do. That's something that maybe we we borrow from Christianity or from Kantianism and just slap it into this context where we're all trying to be utilitarians because it's hard for us not to think that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I think that if you are thinking that way, and you are utilitarianism, you'd probably have to include, no, you're, if you're so bad at stuff that your impact is negative, that is, in fact, what makes you a bad person, Yeah. Uh, regardless of what you meant. Whereas <laughs> if you're Bill you Gates and bad. you just have a billion dollars and you can give that all to charity, that makes you a good person. And if you don't have a billion dollars, sucks to be you, right? Like, right. same as if you're, you know, born paraplegic and, you know, mentally handicapped so that you can't even think about trying to improve with things and you, your body can't improve with things, um, then Aristotle would say, yeah, it also, it sucks to be you. Um, so, but it, it's kind of, and that, that's a tougher example than just like that, like the hypothetical made up person who just sucks at everything. But you mentioned before, like, you know, a tele- teleological lens on this and it's like, you're just actually not maximizing or even like approaching being, approaching climbing the, the, the peak of like being good at being a person. Right. And like, so, you know, we, we talked about like specific examples like blacksmithing or farming or whatever. And like, if you suck at those, then yeah, you're just, you're not good at it. But if you can't do any of the things that, like, even you want to do as a person, like, you're not, you're not, you're not you're, being you, the best you. Yeah, you're actually, you're actually just failing at being a person, like, in right. a theological sense. Yeah. Yeah. You're failing at being a person generally. You're maybe failing at being you specifically. Maybe you're not failing at wanting the right things, right? Maybe that seems like that could be a virtue is um, identifying which goods are actually important and worth pursuing. Uh, so I, I think that the, the, the blacksmith who fails to make something after 20 years or the person who always wants to get, what was your example? Was it chess originally? It's like somebody wants to get better at the thing, but they are just incompetent at it. I think it was, could have been chess. Yeah. yeah. That, that person isn't, isn't perfectly bad, right? right? Because they at least know they're at least oriented towards, Oh, I want good things. I want to be better at, at things that are good and not worse at them. Right. And so there is, that's one virtue that they have, mm-hmm. uh, but they, they lack a lot of other ones. I feel like, and uh, maybe I don't know if I should bring uh, Adler in psychology into this, but 
There's something in particular that really bugs me about the type of person who is just an eternal aspirant. I don't know if I'm as, like aspiring towards mm-hmm. like a like, like someone who I, always I just aspires have to, do... to be rational but never quite gets there. <laughs> well, no, I mean like uh, someone who wants to be a great author supposedly, and they they have this identity of you know like. They go around talking about how, you know, they're going to write a great book someday and then, oh, I've, I was working on my writing for so long, but then they never actually do it because and there's like this whole thing should probably be a separate conversation, but like courage in the Adlerian sense, <laughs> like he would say that it, the, the good right thing to do would be to realize that you're hiding behind this, you know, like you could publish the book and, and it might suck and then you would have to face the fact that you're not a great writer. But you can... Or you could give up on writing and yeah. just do something else that you're actually good at. But that would be hard. <laughs> and it's it's easier for people to just, you know, say, well, I could have, you know, I've studied piano for 12 years. Oh, man, I could have been like a, a composer. I could have, you know, like judge other people who are bad at piano, talk about how much you love piano. But like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, you're using it for evil, sort of. That, or, yeah. That's one reason. I I think that's a that's a failure mode that I worry about in myself sometimes. Oh lot. yeah, same. <laughs> yeah, um, I I think that's one reason why I love this definition of practice that McIntyre gives is because and a virtue entailed by practice is because I think wanting to be and aspiring to be and talking about being a great writer isn't a practice, but like being one probably is or being a writer generally. Mm-hmm. And so things that make you better at wanting to be or aspiring to be a writer aren't, but being a writer, yeah, things that make you better at that are things that are worth doing. And that's like, it's almost like, like, uh, you know, trying to cut the enemy, mm-hmm. but for your activities, it's like, don't just, don't just faff about with the sword. Don't just faff about with telling people you're going to be a writer. Like either do it and get better at it and practice trying to do that thing. Or maybe mm-hmm. I'll discover that I, I'm bad at it. Yeah. Or and no matter how much I want to be a better blacksmith, I just should face the facts that yeah. I suck at it. Lay down do your sword else. and hug your enemy maybe. Right. <laughs> but like, don't just whack around with a sword, not trying to cut him. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Don't just faff around not writing a book. Yeah, like you actually got to just, I don't know, put up or shut up, you know, start writing, go to workshops, get get eviscerated by your peers, yeah. and then get back in it. And I, I think shut up is a valid option, too. Like, I, I think shut up is a great option, <laughs> um, because then you'll maybe focus on something that you're better at, and you'll enjoy more. Yeah. I mean, I think that's the thing, you know, you mentioned, like, as when you guys were talking about the kind of more generic, um, I'm blanking on any of the examples, I don't know what happened to my brain, but when I decided to go like finish an undergraduate degree, it was explicitly to, to internally with the goal of being seen to be doing something, mm. not doing anything in particular, just doing something so that I could, I could say, what are you doing with your life? And I'd have an answer to that, right? I'm going to school, which isn't actually a thing, right? Yeah. It's, it's, it's an activity that fills my day, but it's not like, it's not something you're doing with your life, right? It, it was just a good placeholder. Um, you didn't and, decide that you wanted to do this thing and going to school is the best way to get to that. Point. Exactly. Yeah. And so if someone say perpetually stayed in school in that sort of state, it's like, Oh, I'm, I'm figuring it out in this very prestigious way of like paying a ass ton of money to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that is a failure mode too, right? You're not actually getting better at anything other than telling people that you're planning on getting good at something. <laughs> yeah. but so. I, I understand the kind of person who would be like a eternal student because I'm interested in everything kind of, I know, like, Carrie, you were saying that's something that you fear about yourself. Uh, for me, it is for sure, too, because I have way too many interests, and I change careers all the time, and I keep, like, I, I feel like I need to get better at just committing to... I, 
one path. <laughs> for, for what it's worth, that's not what I was saying, though. What I was saying is that, like, in, in my example, like, being a student is actually not doing anything. And so, like, if you're jumping around from career to career every two years, but you're actually you, you're actually doing stuff. Yeah. And you're well, you're they're better. You could be better and worse at those things or whatever. But you're still you're still actually doing things. These are two different things, you're right? But yeah. I I because I, I just want to make clear that you're actually doing stuff, whereas like the the me of what God years ago was not. <laughs> and so at least uh, two years ago. At uh, least. <laughs> there's something about that that I wanted to talk about too, where the the. Hmm. The whole concept of, like, you're bad and you should feel bad. Uh, <laughs> or, like, the reason that you did that wasn't, you know, it was because you, if you weren't doing something, you knew that you would be judged. Right. And if someone asks, like, what are you doing with your life? And you're like, I'm in school. And they're like, oh, that's a good thing to be doing. And <laughs> Exactly. Uh, but it saves you without having, having to actually do anything, right? It does seem like school's not the worst choice for that. You know, you, there are there are things that you could go do that maybe you could tell people that would sound cool that would be I don't, I don't know how you feel about school right i don't i don't know if you if you use anything that you learned in school uh like in your work or your day-to-day life or you appreciate it but I, I feel like like school is one of those things where people often do it just because it's the thing to do and also because it's like you know whatever college required for all these jobs now which is terrible uh that don't need the degree specifically but my, my art bachelor's degree has gotten me a bunch of jobs that i wouldn't have that are completely unrelated right yeah like i i think there's a sense that a lot of people go to school because it's the thing to do and then maybe find a vocation while they're at school and i, I don't know how typical this is but it, it does happen at least sometimes right which oh, totally. means that school strikes me as not the worst thing to do in the same way that maybe what are you doing with your life oh i'm just at some job that pays me a lot of money right now that might be also a good answer to that question even if it's not something you really care about, because you might find later, oh, hey, I discovered this thing I really care about, and boy, it's convenient to have this money. Yeah, right. And you know, to be clear, like I, I like, I like the the vibe of like anything approaching like the 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 idea of an of an academy, right? Yeah. Like I love the the vibe of people being there to learn, and I like learning. Like I think that's an intrinsic good, basically, right? It's pleasurable for a lot of people, and yeah, it's it's nice to and so like as far as being a perpetual student i guess like there are ways to do it where like you're not put you're not using that as a placeholder for doing like real life stuff and you can you can learn all the time at home too yeah and so like i'm not i not necessarily putting down school for every purpose for every person it was specifically the way that i did it um which i didn't learn anything there that i took to a real job or anything um but it was but i was there and i did enjoy the stuff you know like i liked being in school i like i like being in lectures right yeah. mm-hmm. so like all that stuff's fun uh but so like you're right, there are worse ways to do it. If I if I was also having a bad time, that'd have been a worse way to do it, right? Um, whatever example that could have been. So uh, I forget how this related to. Oh, we were talking about the uh, McIntyre definition. Oh yeah, yeah. I guess I mean that's that's a thing too. Is if you're if you're out of school or you're doing something just to do it, maybe it's better to choose something that that you have heard of people discovering new things to care about as a result of doing that thing, right? Because mm-hmm. uh, that's that's one of the the biggest advantages I think of virtue ethics over utilitarianism, um, even though they they're not really for the same thing. I think uh, in in some ways, but uh, one one thing that I think that virtue ethics does a great job at is leaving open the idea that you might discover something new that it means to be good, right? Some new practice, some new virtue that wasn't in any of the things that you were doing before, um, some new way of of flourishing and being your best you as it were uh that i that that, yeah that utilitarianism doesn't and if you're at school or if you're if you're faffing about um to have a good answer to the question what are you doing it might be good 
um, to have something that not only is a good answer, but also is something that has a reputation for exposing people to new notions of the good so that you might find something to pursue. Yeah. Right. Like maybe you go to college and then you learn about, uh, I don't know, you learn about rationality or EA stuff. And so you go get in that and then, well, yeah, that's, that's not why you were at college, but that's a thing that came out of it. And those are things that can come out of it. I love that. That's great. Yeah. This is going to sound stupid, but I think pursuing things that will get you laid more is almost always a good proxy for <laughs> things that you should do if you don't know what else you're going to do, because almost all of them are either skills that are admirable or your own personal health or social ability. And like all those things generalize to, to positives, even if your only you know goal was to get laid more it's still probably going to gonna work out as long as you aren't doing, you know, stupid bullshit. I, I, need, to, I need to point out that what Enos just said made Carrie you go for the book and open up. So I'm really curious what we got I, here. I think I agree. Oh. I agree with that cool. uh, very much. And I, I also think, what is this? By a practice, I am going to mean coherent and complex form of socially established cooperative human activity through which goods internal to that form of activity are realized. Okay. Sounds like seduction to me. <laughs> right? Nice. It's coherent. It's complex. You realize goods internal to it like... I don't know, getting laid. Um, Orgasms. Yeah, like there are things that make you better at it. Probably most of those are going to be virtues. Um, Maybe there's like good and bad ways, I would say, as well. I mean, like obviously there's like drugging and date raping someone, but there's also Mm -hmm. being a pickup artist like that's learning to psychologically manipulate women versus genuinely like becoming a good conversationalist right <laughs> so glad you well, I, I, mean, I was gonna say dark arts yeah. doesn't count yeah, yeah. 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 no I, I think i think the manipulative poa is not engaging in a cooperative practice no. right <laughs> right and I, I think i think likely also that's true for the the, the date rapist like those those are bad <laughs> yeah. and they're bad in a way that this definition makes sense for which is why i keep every time i look at this definition it's like but what about what about oh yeah hey it works cool that's why i keep uh using examples instead of Examples are better. Yeah, yeah. like mm-hmm. uh, a thing that I wanted to talk about. Unless there's like more that we haven't covered that you wanted to um, discuss, but there's there's the thing that no, keeps I, coming I up got... for me uh, is sort of the idea of how how responsible should you be for shaming others, <laughs> or mm. you know, uh, the the I keep thinking about that you're bad and you should feel bad. Like that's a thing actually Aristotle talks about in this book. Yeah, what is I, that? I was like, curious about that. The virtue of imposing justice or something. Um, no, the, it's like it's honor and glory. He talks about that because in right. ancient Greece, people still talked about that instead of like making weird noises about status. Right. Um, and he basically says like, if you're pursuing honor, uh, on, honor can't be the highest good because we, we award honor and respect to people for four reasons yeah, okay. and must be those reasons that are why we're doing the honor. So like those must be better. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, but what is it? He says, he says pursuing those things is often good because um, it, it because if you achieve them, it probably means that you have the have the virtues that are worth having, which is why people are giving you the honors. And oh my gosh, I I actually forgot the thing that Jace just said that oh, I was working um, on that I was going to bring this back to. I was thinking about shaming people for not having the virtues. Yeah, yes. or, or even like punishment in the game theoretic sense. Uh, the you know the reason that uh, the first thing that you mentioned, Idinash, was fairness. Mm. Uh, when you're just trying to think of virtues and you're like well i value fairness and it made me think of that whole uh uh the sort of there's an instinct that's built into humans to punish others and it's even in animals you know like for Mm -hmm. for defecting and the reason is obvious but anyway sorry i'm going too far afield (laughs) no i i i think what i said was was going i was trying to riff off of you right so i i think that 
that yeah, we do we do punish each other when we do bad things, and we do try to reward each other when we do good things, and uh, that's good. It's good to punish, you know, yeah, punishing the bad and rewarding the good. That's that's the most primitive notion of justice I think that there is. Yeah. I wonder if Jace, were, 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 were you trying to get towards asking like, is there any, is there ever any virtual, vir, is there any possible virtuous reason? to dogpile someone on Twitter. Is that what you're asking? <laughs> I mean, actually... There's no virtuous reason to be on Twitter at all, he says, as he was on Twitter earlier today. Well, but I mean, if you're there, again, getting honor and esteem from people for saying smart things, and that's probably correlated with actually sharing smart things, right? Twitter is weird in that it's very much what you put into it is what you'll get out of it. So you can just get the most horrific, dog shit, awful stuff on Twitter. But also you find some very insightful, interesting people that are just like... Here's a thing that I discovered today while doing my genetic research job. And I'm like, that's cool. I wish you would have written a blog post, but a 12-part Twitter thread works too, I guess. And sometimes they're the same people. Yeah, <laughs> Most of the time right. they're the same people. That's the worst part. Aww. Yeah. I, I, have a, I realize I have an internal inconsistency here with this, though, where like, I believe you when you say, yeah, it's good to reward and punish people. But then, um, okay, may, maybe, maybe it's not that inconsistent, but I prefer sort of the, the same method of like child rearing or, or animal training where you only reward good behavior and you ignore bad behavior but i guess ignoring a behavior is still a form of punishment hmm or it's at least not you rewarding. Could, you could think of that as punishment relative to the hedonic set point like yeah, yeah. uh if you're if you reward something every, all the time then you're uh you know then when you fail to give a reward that's a kind of punishment yeah because someone adjusts to the reward being there hmm so. I don't. I don't know if that works with children, though. Is, is it like you're just suspending them halfway? They're trying. Their hedonic set point is trying to adjust to being more rewarded, and then every time they do something bad, it's like no. Well, children crave attention, so if you ignore them, that's definitely a punishment. Yeah. And but uh, <laughs> this is semi-related. I uh, I believe this is true. Um, I might actually have to check up on whether the cat psychology, if my cat psychology knowledge is up to date, uh, with dogs, you can definitely train them with punishment because dogs feel guilt and cats don't. <laughs> if you punish a cat, <laughs> it, it doesn't change their behavior at all. Like they, they don't care about your opinion. <laughs> they don't try to, yeah. yeah. It's, it's funny because dogs have this like built in need to please and like, yeah. Anyone who's ever, you know, met a dog knows that they feel like excessive guilt, shame about being bad and they want to be good boys. And mm -hmm. and cats don't give a shit mm -hmm. <laughs> about whether or not you think they're a good or bad cat. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> but you that you can yeah, you can train them with rewards only. <laughs> well, we're getting close to two hours. Is there more things we want to touch on here? Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I know uh a friend of the podcast, Jenkins, asked me, uh based on conversations that I've had with him in the past, why would I go all the way to virtue ethics and not stop at something like preference utilitarianism? But I, I guess I, I think that I've made that clear, which is that I think they're four different things. I think they, they do different things. Mm -hmm. I, I think that if you were to ask like, you know, a modern utilitarian, how can I be uh, a good person at my job? They'd, you know, we can kind of anticipate the answers they would give. If you want to talk to be like, if you ask a, a virtue ethicist, how can I be good at my job? You can you can get some like, actual advice, right? Like you know, have a good attitude. Say you know, speak up when something's not working. You know, be a cooperative team member, stuff like that, right? Mm -hmm. And all that is correlated with stuff I think that the utilitarians would say, but it's more internally focused. You know, also another way you could be good at your job if you're asking a virtual assist is to like your job, yeah. right? Which isn't a requirement if you're utilitarian. 
Um, try to not just do the things, right? And not do them because they're good or not. Who cares why you're doing them? But try to become the person who does them without even thinking about it. Mm-hmm. So that they're character traits instead of just things you choose. Yeah. I think that another, maybe this is a good kind of wrap up conversation bit, but like one criticism I remember, cause it's been, I, I did take all the philosophy classes in college, but I didn't like do anything with it. But I remember like, this was a common thing that people like virtue ethics, virtue ethics is vague. And that's kind of come up a bit, right? But, and that's, that points out it like it's a bad thing. And I get that it's not great that, you know, here's this instruction book with no actual hard instructions in it. Um, but I think that actually might, I don't think that's actually a bad thing because like life is complicated and like there isn't going to be like a one rule fits all situations yeah. thing. So it's just like, I, although if there is one, it's really close to what, what McIntyre said. I, I, I love that. I think what McIntyre said is also pretty vague. And I, I agree. I, but, I, but I it's like a, that. It's exactly as, vague as necessary to basically encompass everything but not yeah. so uselessly vague as like whatever maximize the uh shoot categorical categorical imperative right yeah um that, that that doesn't tell me like all right well how much money should i give to this you know to this charity do i give anything you, um, you want to be a little bit vague because you don't you don't know what the highest like the maximum good is right and so if you pick the wrong one you're effectively going to be paper clipping yeah and so you want to be a little vague about it in a way that lets you enables you to discover and get closer to what that is yeah i think where people get tripped up in philosophies even even the virtues that aristotle uh, i guess like you know said these are the virtues and then these are the like corruptions of the virtues some of those felt kind of forced and i, mm-hmm. I feel like he was trying to it was trying too hard to make everything fit a system aristotle's classic move is here's 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 a category of things let's subdivide it into four categories of things and then name them all <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> speaking of which what would you I guess, is there a list of virtues? Is virtues more kind of a squishier, you know them when you see them thing? Like, what do you consider the virtues that humans should aspire to or how people find out what virtues are? Um, that, that's a good question. I, I don't come here with a list of virtues. Mm-hmm. I, I think Eliezer's uh, list of virtues of rationality is a good one. I think Aristotle's is also a good one. I mean, they're they're for different things, different situations. I I don't have a list to read here, and I don't have yeah. a, a person who has a list to point anybody to. But I, mean, uh, I don't like lists at all. Yeah, I, I guess you, you know when you more see more of it, a how do you? I would say I think I think courage is probably the most important virtue. Huh. Okay. Um, because Adler would agree. <laughs> because it, yeah, because it, you need courage to act, right? Yeah, and uh, you know all all other virtues are habits of character which are uh, actions that you take automatically that are part you've sort of made into a part of your personality Mm -hmm. and uh anything you do in the world is going to take action and so whether that's embodying a virtue whether that's uh you know calculating utility whatever doing things is is going to take courage because you need to take action and so i i think if there's one thing about virtues specifically it might be cultivate the virtue to act yeah I like courage. I like curiosity. I like rationality, responsibility. Like I don't have a list, but I think there's some things that you can you can identify as like, yeah, that is definitely a virtue, and it would be good if I were to cultivate that in myself. Yeah, I I mean I think if anybody just finds a list of virtues that they like, like uh, I I know uh, Charlie mentioned once that uh, she has a li- the twelve virtues of rationality taped on the wall behind her computer, mm-hmm. and we'll look at it sometimes and be like, am I doing this right? Am I doing this right? Mm-hmm. Uh, or like, how's this one? Or just being inspired by it. And mm-hmm. I, I think that, yeah, anyone who's interested in that, I don't, I think if you find a list of virtues that appeal to you, you're probably not doing it wrong. 
Okay. Uh, so yeah, if that's something that somebody wants to do, they shouldn't worry about, oh, but is this the right list of virtues? If it's Aristotle's and that's the one that really gets you fired up, you know, go for it. Yeah. And if you do have a list and then someone brings your attention to another virtue, you can just add it in there. Yeah. Yeah. You're like, oh, you're right. That's a, that's a big deal. And I should focus on that. Cool. What's your favorite virtue, Jace? If you had to pick one to put on the list. Um, well, my favorite is curiosity, but I feel like that one comes easiest for me. Whereas... That's a good reason for it to be the favorite, too. Yeah, but I mean, like, uh, I'm working on trust because mm-hmm. I have, or, or rather, like, um, maybe it's the same thing, positivity, or, yeah, uh, I know, like, I'm pathologically underconfident in... Yeah, it might be courage. Maybe courage, yeah. Yeah, okay. I like it. No, I think positivity, <laughs> that, that's kind of what I was thinking about, was like... It's not the right word. There's something I was trying to get at there. No, but it, it sparked what I was thinking of, which was like, uh, I don't know, I guess when in doubt, be nice to people. And be really humble about how sure you are that you shouldn't be nice to them. Like, so be doubtful most of the time. Like, you don't know what someone's day is. You know, if someone's ha- if someone in a in a job is being shitty to you, like maybe they're a shitty person, and that's how they are to everybody all the time. Or maybe they're having the worst day of their life, and you don't know, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, if it doesn't cost you much to just extend the benefit of the doubt and be nice, then that's a good way to do it. But of course, again, there's you can you can find extremes on the gold of uh, away from that golden mean right you can be nice to hitler on his worst day you know <laughs> open the door for him on the way to, on his way to do his job right or you can uh i guess what be a dick to everybody what is the the vice of being nice if you're to go the other way with it uh, I, th- I think he has obsequiousness mm, actually that's a solid word <laughs> yeah like you're, you're just like bending over backwards to like you know perfect servile yeah that was I think does not get there. what you what does not get you what you want ultimately. No, no, it may take a while to find not, that not out. Good for you either. I think. Yeah, yeah. I think that I get why they call it bending over backwards because it's it's doable, but it really hurts and it's not sustainable. Yeah, yeah. The biggest problem is that there's more than one person in the world. You could be the ultimate, you know, doing everything for one person, but as soon as there's two people, then sometimes their desires are in conflict, and then you got to choose. Then the stronger one gets what they want, right? No, good point. Yeah, <laughs> I think I think we all said what uh, we think the most important or favorite virtue is, uh, except for you and Yash. Damn it! I was hoping you'd miss me. Um, I mean, I, I don't want to just say courage because I do think that's the one. But then, like, then we've only got three out of the four of us. <laughs> I, yeah. I think courage is the most important one, as you said. But I'm also a really big fan of like whatever the version of the Protestant work ethic as a virtue is. Industry. Industry. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Just fucking working on things and not giving up because lots of hard work is the only way things get done. And you can do a fucking lot if you just keep doing it every day. Yeah. I guess, I guess maybe there's a case for like, like love or charity too. Mm. The, the, the Christian virtues of faith, love and charity, mm-hmm. or faith, hope and charity. Absolutely. Love should be right up there. Love. I don't remember. Yeah. Love's good. Yeah. Love's a very good one. All right. Shall we wrap it up? Sure. Yeah, we're not doing uh, sequences this week because we forgot. So, unless you guys want to like do tomorrow Zencaster call in real quick and do them, or do you want to just skip them entirely? There's a possibility we'll do sequences this week, but not right now. Okay, great. All right. Hey, Stephen, welcome back. Hey, Inyash, welcome again. Yes, we are going to do the less wrong posts because we chiseled out some time in our schedules to do that. Although Jace couldn't join us, so it'll just be you and me. Yeah, not too much to cover. These are these are memorable but quick ones, I think. Yes, but we didn't want to leave our listeners hanging with no less wrong posts for a week because we we only put out two of these a month, roughly. So yeah, it would be killer. Yeah. All right. So the first one is, but there's still a chance, right? Which I'm pretty sure is a dumb and dumber reference. I was just going to say it has to be. 
Yeah, great movie. Very fun. I mean, very stupid. It, it it lives up to its title, but a lot of fun. I really need to see it again. I haven't seen it in ages. I wonder if it holds up. Oh, that's a good question. Yeah, maybe not. I don't know. I bet parts do. We'll see. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Well, what's, what's the gist here? I, I mean, in a sentence, it's that, you know, probability approaches zero is you, you can just say it's zero. Yeah. Even though mathematically it's not. Right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. This this uh, it, it reminds us that this was at the time during the atheism wars at the very beginning, because he's talking with a theist who refuses to accept evolution and uh, says that maybe the human and the chimp DNA is just very similar by coincidence. And uh, Eliezer said that brought, you know, gave him a couple insights into the laws of thought as seen by what he calls the unenlightened ones. And which I think we refer to as normies. But I think the unenlightened ones, you know, he's got to he's got to do the turns of phrase. You know, he can't just call them normies. That would be too cringe for for a new religion leader or whatever. There's also like just a bit of salt. He just doesn't usually talk down to people. I think this guy in particular grabbed his gears. Yeah. F this guy. (laughs) Uh, so the first thing that he learned from this particular thing is that human intuitions uh, make a qualitative distinction between no chance and a very tiny chance, but worth keeping track of. And the problem is that probability theory sometimes lets us calculate a chance which is too tiny to be worth the mental space to keep track of it. But by that time, you've already calculated it. <laughs> <laughs> and the thing he said in here that like stuck with me for quite a long time, and then I forgot it because I just haven't run into people who think like this in a long time. So, uh, you know, lost it from disuse. Um, but the thing he said here was that uh, we can use words, words to describe numbers that are that small, but not feelings, because a feeling that small literally doesn't exist. It, for it to be for it to be as small of a feeling equivalent to the smallness of the chance that you couldn't fire enough neurons to release enough neurotransmitters to feel anything like once you get really small to like the levels of winning the lottery you you the, your chances are less than how many neurons are in the brain so you'd have to fire less than one neuron to to feel the the appropriate feeling of what your chances are which you can't do so it's uh yeah, you, you, that's a problem with humans' brains, where you just can't feel how unprobable it is in proportion to how improbable it is. It'd be like if I handed you a single atom of lead to put on your palm, you know? Yeah, right. And it's like, if you say so, I mean, but, but <laughs> yeah. like, they're, they're, we're, we're just not wired physically or, or computationally to handle stuff that infinitesimal. Yeah. And especially, and like, the thing is, I think like he's getting at that, you know, when you're motivated that teeny tiny chance you're like oh well you know there's that's a ch- <laughs> that is literally a chance i just said it right um mm-hmm. so it i think people are inclined to lean for that but it's uh it's a cautionary lesson that you should try to avoid doing that yes uh he said also the second thing that he learned about how the normies think is that uh there's a qualitative distinction between certain and uncertain arguments where if an argument is not certain you're allowed to ignore it uh, and that includes for infinitesimal probabilities like this. And he says that, like, if you're going to say you can't prove me wrong, like, if you're just going to ignore a probabilistic counterargument to that extent, why not ignore a proof, too? Like, they're basically indistinguishable. Yeah, I it's interesting because people and, and, you know, this is, again, an artifact of the new athe- of the atheism wars. But like when people are motivated, they will, you know, at least in my experience, they would they would 
forget and throw out the the very laws of thought and logic mm. and not just yeah. like you know logic and facts but like seriously the you know um all arb all brc all arc like level thinking right yeah and it's uh it's weird i mean at some point you're not having a conversation with somebody who is open to a conversation mm-hmm. um like i think if somebody who is otherwise amenable to reason and then buys lottery tickets this is like the kind of thing you can be like hey look you know, you realize, look at the numbers and yes, that feels like a chance, but it's not, I think that might sink in there, but if somebody's really determined, this isn't going to shake them. <laughs> yeah. You know, it might though. And I don't want to push this prematurely, but the next one might. You think the fallacy of gray one? Yeah. I like that one a lot. This, uh, it was a good one. You want to jump in? Yeah, sure. Uh, cause yeah, it, it piggybacks off this one very well. The next, uh, uh, post being the fallacy of gray, which starts out with a quote, um, but two people talking with each other, the, the sophisticated and the, I don't even know what that other word is. Um, the guy who's a different guy. Anyways, the sophisticated says the world isn't black and white. No one does pure good or pure bad. It's all gray. Therefore, no one is better than anyone else. And his interlocutor says, knowing only gl- gray, you conclude that all grays are the same shade. You mock the simplicity of the two color view yet you replace it with a one-color view. That is the quote that I remembered utilizing, and I wish I'd found like a year, you know, when closer to when it came out, I probably found it two or three years later. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, because I I'd, I'd argued with rel- moral relativists, mm-hmm. and, you know, it wasn't so much like arguing about the superiority of my morals, you know, because mine were, I was, you know, super into philosophy. I didn't really have hard morals. I just knew that some were wrong. And so... Right. Uh, this that one sentence there, uh, you mock the simplicity of a two color view, but you replace it with a one color view. Yeah, uh, like that. That was like, oh man, this is the perfect distillation of what I'm trying to communicate here, right? Yeah, yeah. So yeah, there's only a thousand shades of gray, and then there's another quote way later on that I liked that illustrates the same point again. The the with the Gandhi and Stalin one. That, that's the one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He says uh, someone says everyone is imperfect, and Eliezer comments, "Yeah, Gandhi was imperfect and Stalin was imperfect, but they were not the same shade of imperfection." Right. <laughs> you know, in the spirit of virtue ethics, I was thinking about uh, like, I mean, a bad person can have virtues, right? Yeah. And a good person can ha- can have vices. Um, mm-hmm. So it's like, you know, I'm sure Stalin did some things right. I know less about him than I do other. Uh, world leaders or dictators at the time or like whatever. You know less about him than Hitler, basically. Probably, yeah. Because everyone knows that Hitler was a vegetarian and loved animals. I wonder if that's even true just because it's such a popular belief, but let's pretend it oh, is. Shit. And Okay. Uh, yeah, like so the guy likes dogs and, you know, he liked art, whatever, right? Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, maybe Stalin was like cunning and smart, right? Like things that a lot of us would aspire to have. He was very good looking. That too. Uh, he, let's see, he eliminated literacy. Uh, and homelessness, apparently. <laughs> you said eliminated literacy. Oh, illiteracy. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> Mission accomplished. No one can correct me because no one can read. <laughs> uh, you know, if he eliminated literacy by starving to death all the illiterate people, that's not really great. Or burning all the books. There's nothing great. Yeah. yeah. All right. All right. Fucking Stalin. So what else is going on in this post? Um uh so this he he ties it back to the previous post saying that like of the previous guy uh all the the one that was like you know well you you can't there's still a chance to him all probabilities were simply uncertain and that meant he was licensed to ignore them if he pleased so yeah again the same kind of they're all gray no matter how different the certainty is and uh he he says that like this 
it's easy to make fun of like the religious people, but like this extends even into academia because in his experience, many bloggers said of overcoming bias that it's impossible. No one can completely eliminate bias. And he says, yeah, well, that which I cannot eliminate may well be worth reducing. You can try to minimize that effect or you can tr- do things that are bound to increase it. So it has to make you wonder if the people who make that objection, because I've heard that too, right? Oh, you can't, mm-hmm. you can't make it perfect. And it's like, yeah, so like, I wonder right. if there, if that's like, if that is an original thought and I'm not like belittling anyone who's ever said that, but like, if that is an original thought that someone came to after careful deliberation or if they just heard it somewhere, because I think that like, that's not true of anything else. Right. No, like I can't, I can't eliminate, um, whatever toxins in my sadness. food. Well, sadness, yeah. but you know, like radiation, you know, mm-hmm. I can't eliminate that because yeah. I go outside, but I'm not going to stand in front of a goddamn x-ray machine like all day. Right. Yeah, yeah. I work in a doctor's office and take x-rays. I'm still going to stand behind the other wall mm-hmm. and say, well, you can't eliminate x-rays. What's the point? Right. Yeah. No, you can't, you can't eliminate all the, the gross stuff in your drinking water. You should just drink from this, this, te- you know, disgusting pond. Yeah. That, that logic stands, that doesn't stand anywhere else, you know? I think it's specifically because like people assume some level of hubris. They're like, oh, you're trying to get rid of your bias. You're trying to be better than us. Well, you know, that's impossible. And it's like, you know, it's good to try to be better and stop being so fucking defensive if you aren't trying to do it. Or at least don't try to, you know, like shit on people who are. I mean, we are trying to improve our virtues. Yeah. I mean, I don't don't think anyone listening to this will ever be able to compete with like Mike Tyson on boxing mm-hmm. ability, but some people no doubt are practiced martial artists, you know, mm-hmm. just because you can't be the best ever doesn't mean that you can't be really good and that it's really good to be good. Yeah. You know, oh, you can't learn everything. You should just throw that book away. You know, <laughs> like, mm-hmm. like it's funny. The more examples I think of, right. Yeah. Like, you can't, uh, whatever run a thousand miles. You shouldn't try running one. Mm-hmm. He brings up another example, which is, I guess, kind of relevant to to the time and maybe to the practice of rationality, too. He says, likewise, the folly of those who say every scientific paradigm imposes some of its assumptions on how it interprets experiments and then act like they'd proven science to occupy the same level with witch doctoring. Every worldview imposes some of its structure on its observations. But the point is that there are worldviews which try to minimize that imposition and worldviews which glory in it. There is no white, but there are shades of gray that are far lighter than others, and it is folly to treat them as if they were all on the same level. And this kind of stuck out to me when I read it because he was, you know, he was talking about the atheism wars of a decade and a half ago. But um, does that not sound a lot like the people who are nowadays saying that science is um, colonial whiteness or whatever? I haven't actually, like, I, I basically got off the internet before people started making that noise, so I don't. I don't quite know what they're saying, but I've, I've heard something like that. And yes, I think it is uh, something to the extent of like, oh, it's got their biases and stuff in it. And no doubt tons of it does. Like you can be mindful of that, right? But yeah. it doesn't mean like it's all bullshit. Right. It means that, hey, you know, when we're, when we're looking at this, let's keep in mind that, you know, this study that was done on 20, uh, whatever, 17 year olds in 1961 might not apply. And there are, you know, to, to 20 well-to-do young men in 1961 uh, mm-hmm. doesn't necessarily apply to everybody in 2022. Um, yeah. Like, so it's, it's, it's useful to keep that sort of stuff in mind, but like, it doesn't mean that we can throw out the edifice of like everything we know, like at the yeah. end of the day, and this is what always got me. Cause I, you know, if you argued with uh, the hyper-religious back in the day, they would eventually like retreat to, well, it's all 
it's all faith, it's all bullshit, whatever, whatever. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, dude, planes still fly. Right. Like, well, it was great. One of these was on a was on a forum that was like like a class online forum after class. You could go on and uh, everybody could see the discussions. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, dude, we're having this conversation at the speed of light from wherever you live to wherever I live. And we could both be on separate airplanes if we wanted to be. Like some someone like there's there's some stuff that is understood to make this happen, right? Mm-hmm, this isn't mm-hmm. merely just like hope and lies. Yeah, and I mean they 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 can call it colonial science or colonialism science or whatever, and say that there's other ways of knowing that. Okay, yes, sure, that's all valid, but um, who was it that got rid of polio? Because <laughs> it, it there's some there's some specific reasons that uh that the scientific method does work, which yeah. uh, it didn't share with other ways of knowing things. And yeah, you know, cultural evolution learns a lot and uh, can do a lot as we were just talking about in the virtue ethics, like the, the uh, ethical systems have evolved over multiple millennia at this point and have uh, been refined and uh, to make societies work, you know, better, but it, there's, there's a lot to be said for systemic process of elimination and testing and experimentation you can learn a lot from that too that maybe you could get through many millennia of evolution or or just a few decades of testing various things that might kill bacteria so is the claim of these people not just that like science is tainted by whiteness or whatever but it's like there are there are other equally valid ways of knowing stuff and like you know we shouldn't trust one over the other I mean, it depends on who you ask, and you can find anyone on the internet that'll say something stupid. But yes, there are people that have said that that are in some position of not just being random Joe. Okay. I mean, that's that's weird. I thought it was like the first one I can at least get behind, like, not in, you know, not like, again, get gung ho about, but I can understand and sympathize with. The second one, like, there are definitely truths that are important to people that aren't best learned through a randomized controlled trial. Yeah, you know, like I can, I can, I can totally, I'm, I'm super important with that. But I don't think that that there are, um, I don't know, hard facts about nature that are best learned in those ways. Yeah, right. If it like everything that it's a hard fact about nature, you want to learn through a randomized controlled trial or some sort of an experiment and observation, right? Yeah, you don't want to learn it through like careful introspection and good discussion. Like that's not how you I mean, learn. Uh, <laughs> I don't know how to how to how to crash a satellite into a, into a, into a asteroid. Exactly. You know, like, I mean, science nowadays, especially, you know, medical and and sociological science, very fucked, absolute, lots of crises, a lot of things not replicating. And, uh, seems a lot of people just don't know a fucking thing about anything. But on the other hand, um, it is really fucking useful for some things. And just because the people who did it were white doesn't mean that it, didn't actually do a really good job of learning some things and helping us, you know, affect the world. Didn't we like just cure malaria in the last few weeks? Uh, we have just developed a very cheap and effective va- vaccine, but right. uh, it still needs to be deployed. Right. We haven't eradicated it, but we have we have the tools to to kill it. Well, I guess yes. to kill it beforehand. It's not like a treatment when you've got it, but you know what I mean? Yeah. Like yeah. soon malaria will be gone the way of polio. And yes. th- that's awesome. And th- yeah. this wasn't done through careful contemplation in a cave. This was done through rigorous years and years of focused science. Yeah. Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah. Hail science. Hell yes, indeed. Um, let's see what we're going to say. I guess the other things I uh, I pulled out are already 
things we've touched on. I think this um, last we, quote is a good good closer. Okay. Uh, I don't mean to interrupt. Sorry. Uh, if oh, I, I, well, yeah, I was going to say science is based on faith too. So there, even though um, calling something that you've previously seen and predicted to 12 decimal places versus expecting something to happen that violates the order previously <laughs> observed, uh, calling them both seems a little too unnarrow, is what he said. And he particularly called out the thing like, if science is a religion, then uh, maybe you you got to watch watch out here and not say that because it's the religion that heals the sick and reveals the <laughs> secrets of the stars. And the priests of science blatantly, publicly, and verifiably walk on the moon as their faith-based miracles. And your priests can't do the same. So are you sure you want to go there? That would have been a nice one to have in my pocket back when I was having these arguments. That was funny. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's funny because, you know, like... <laughs> The sun will rise in the east and this lottery ticket's a winner are both probabilistic statements, right? Yes. And that was uh, that's closer to the point he made it before, which is like, you know, if you're going to anchor on like a teeny probability, why not anchor? Why not also just like say, well, this, this super probable thing is also probably it, you could, it might not happen, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, might not, but let's be real, right? Mm-hmm. I'll bet you everything you have, or rather I'll bet you $10 from you versus everything I have that the sun's going to rise in the east tomorrow. Right? Yeah. Um, now, granted, Sounds if you, like if you somehow, to lose $10. Right. If, if you can somehow, you know, make it so that everyone decides that that direction is north or something, then yeah, I think <laughs> you, you've earned all of my stuff. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. We've got the, the last one here was from, uh, let's see, a commenter. G2 points us to Asimov's relativity of wrong. Mm. And when the people thought that Earth was flat, they were wrong. When people thought the earth was spherical, they were wrong. But if you think that thinking the earth is spherical is just as wrong as thinking of the earth as flat, then your view is wronger than both of them put together. <laughs> and I mean, the goal is to try to be less wrong in stuff that you do, right? Yeah, not increasingly more wrong. I love it. I have one thing I pulled out that kind of struck me as interesting, which is not actually on the topic of this at all. So I put it at the very end here because... we. Basically, we're done talking about the post and you you just capped it off with a great cap. Um, but this was something like a, like a personal thing. Uh, in the middle of the post, in within a parenthetical, he says, whenever someone says to me, perfectionism is bad for you, I reply, I think it's okay to be imperfect, but not so imperfect that other people notice. <laughs> uh, I remember really loving this line when I first read it, like, what, 15 years ago? More now? About 15 years ago. Um, and like I cheered and I, I'm like, yes, this is exactly what I want to be. Always be more efficient, more effective, um, more precise, try to always be better, do better, be less wrong. Right. And I mean, I think that's, that's good. It it is, you know, you always want to practice your virtues. You always want to become a better human and the better, best you that you can be. Right. But on the other hand, like, Nowadays, the line, it's okay to be imperfect, but not so imperfect that other people notice. It almost feels, I, I, I would not cheer this line anymore. I would be like, this is someone who is not in touch with the core of humanness where you have to acknowledge you're a flawed, semi-broken animal that is doing the best it can in this world. And just accept that there's a lot of crappy shit about you and you're doing your best to overcome it. But other people are going to notice and that's okay. And we still love each other, even though we are all broken and flawed and we try to help each other. And it's, 
it's you shouldn't be ashamed of other people noticing you're imperfect, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. I've become more of a hippie. No, I mean, I, I, when I read this, you know, today, I, I assumed that he was saying it tongue in cheek. Like, there's, mm. there's no way that, like, this seems like the kind of thing that, um, that Harry would say, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, I was, I was a Harry. I was an optimizing nerd. I was like, yes, I would want to be so close to optimal that people won't notice the a few imperfections I have left. I don't know. I think Harry had it, you know, where he didn't like broadcast his weaknesses, but he talked to people about things that he was wrong about and struggled with, you know, like Pearl, yeah. I think took it too far. Um, yeah. But I, I guess what I'm thinking is like, you know, Yukowski makes public bets. Right. And I don't think he gets all of them right. Yeah. So, like, you know, that is, that is public imperfection unless you're like, I mean, I guess it's not clear what perfection means then like, cause the whole virtue of like admitting you're wrong and changing your mind is, is something that we, uh, and you know, tout as a good thing. Yes. And it absolutely. is. And yeah. so like, but it, it, I, I don't think that's imperfect. I feel like imperfect is doing some, some sidestepping here. Yeah. I, I don't know. I just, I, I noticed this drastic shift between who I am now and who I was then. And now I feel a lot more accepting both of my own flaws and others and thinking that's one of the beautiful things that makes people different and interesting. Hell yeah. No, I'm super into it. I think, I, I think there's a reason to put it in parenthetical. Cause I think, I think that is supposed to be a joke. Okay. Uh, cause th- like I said, there's no way he really thinks that. I mean, maybe he does, but there's no way that I really think that. I think it's maybe. funny. I think it's a funny line to drop if you're, you know, writing a witty character or making <laughs> a joke. But yeah, but I don't know. It's that that's fair. I, I wonder if he would still drop that line today, like, or if he has changed too. I know we've talked before about like how weird it is that the people who we were in the past are dead. But this, this, you know, I, I wonder if he also thinks that, huh, that was a different person who wrote that, and I don't agree with it now. Or if he's like, no, you know, I was pretty right on, and. And that's fine too. I'm just, I'm curious how much he's changed and I wish I could interview him just yeah. to ask him those things. Yeah. I don't have a good model of Eliezer that I can, I can be confident in what he thinks, but I at least know what I think. Yeah. Yeah. Well, cool. Uh, did we mention on the show? Oh no. Cause we did the actual episode. We thought we weren't, we might not do these. So we got to see what we're doing next time. Oh yes. For next time, our two less wrong posts will be absolute authority and infinite certainty. That sounds great. Yeah, those sound like awesome chapters in a sci-fi novel or something. Yeah, let's get some of that infinite certainty. Not just yeah. some. No. You know, some certainty I think would be plenty, but infinite? Man, <laughs> stoked. I don't even know what we're going to do with that much certainty. Well, we'll noodle on it for a couple of weeks. Excellent. All right. Cool. All right, thanks for joining me. I'll edit this into the episode. Sounds like a plan. Thanks. We do have time, of course. Never don't have time to think of patron. Uh this week we have, or this fortnight, I always say week. Yeah, it is the the week. It is this week, yeah. right? It just won't be next week, it'll be the week after. Right. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> Lewis Campos, this is yours, uh, your shout out. We really appreciate the support. You're awesome. And you have the virtue of generosity. Fuck yeah. Yeah. Nailed it. <laughs> and the virtue of helping other people discover our podcast. And yeah, thanks. It, you're, you're a good person. We like you a lot. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah helping the community what, what was the definition of virtue the oh god <laughs> i think it's worth getting one more time this is great uh, fair enough all right uh, a virtue is an acquired human quality the possession and exercise of which tends to enable us to achieve those goods which are internal to practices and the lack of which effectively prevents us from achieving any such goods
thank you very much for that. Uh, for everybody else, if you are not a patron, you can support us on Patreon. There's links in the show notes. Uh, if you can't do that, then you can always like just tell other people about a podcast, rate and review us, do all those good things. We love you guys. This is this is an awesome way to spend my Sundays and to spend my life. And uh, I'm happy for all of you here in the room with me doing this. And uh, I'm happy for everyone who listens to us too. That makes all this possible. Hell yeah. Solid ending note. All right. All right. Mic drop. Bye. Hi, everyone. Bye. You want to pull it out? Yeah, let me pull it out.